the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, it's a Friday. Uh, I posted on my Facebook, and uh, if you're not a, a friend, uh, you should become one. All you got to do is ask, and you, you get in. Uh, but uh, as you know, yesterday I mentioned that Linda had hurt herself uh, yesterday afternoon. And I uh, left the studio right after I got done with my uh segment with jr and headed over to spring hill hospital which by the way dr brown did a great job over there in the emergency room i didn't get all the names of the nurses so i'm not going to start naming nurses and forget somebody but dr brown was the physician on call at that moment and uh, linda did break her ankle and evidently it's the kind of break that's uh, severe and they're going to we're going to go in and see a orthopedist on Monday at 8:20 in the morning a Dr. Adams over in Ortho Arkansas and sit down with him and find out exactly what's going to have to happen uh we're being told that there is a good chance that surgery is going to be involved and that they're going to have to basically put Linda's ankle back together again with some you know, screws and uh, pieces of metal and and things of that nature. But that's hearsay right now. Uh, Not for sure yet. So I'm still, we're still planning on going on vacation, but my, my finger is kind of itching as though I'm going to have to delete all of my upcoming vacation days that we were going to take because uh, we haven't taken much uh, this year. I've taken one day. So you got your 10, got to get it in. And so um, uh, we'll decide on Monday after we talk to the uh, the doctor about what he's saying is going to have to happen. I mean, look, if if they can't put a good ca- cast, a kind of a walking cast on uh, um, on Linda, I don't see us going on vacation. Why would you go on vacation if you can't walk anywhere? If you can't do anything, I mean, sure, it'd be nice. We could sit on the deck of the, the little bungalow that we had rented and look out on the Gulf. However, um, that's not really what Linda nor I want to do. So anyway, looks like we're going to have to put it all on, on hold. And if we do that, um, I, I've done a little research and the type of surgery that might be called for would take her out of pocket, maybe keep her off of her foot for as much as three months. So um, at least the uh, sailing people I work for let us carry our, in, you know, our our um, uh, vacation over some. So I may do that, and then uh, told her maybe what we need to do is around the first to second month of the year, in February, things are uh, kind of cold, 
uh, we'll go on a cruise or something. So we'll see what's going to happen. Right now, a lot of stuff is uh, up in the air. You know, that's basically uh, what we're going to have to do is just kind of wait. I'll let you know uh, Monday because we are, God, God bless them. You know, they'll, they'll say, what time do you want the, the appointment? And we'll say in the morning because I work in the afternoon. So they said, okay, uh, we need you to be here at 820 in the morning for an 850 appointment. And I kind of wanted to say, um, can you make it just a little bit later so I can sleep in just a tad? But I didn't. We'll be on our way to to see the doctor at 820 in the morning. Adams is over here on Landers. Um, I guess over close to where the um, uh, Petco used to be. I guess that's that's so Petco and isn't there a a Best Buy over there and stuff. I think that's where that's at. Yeah, I think they're over in that area. I know that, uh, you know, when I first got here, Ortho, Arkansas, was out there on Canis. That's the only place they were at. Now, that's not the case anymore. I mean, if you're on 630, they got that huge facility on 630, and now uh, I've seen some of their different uh, places that they have, and I, I now I know exactly where they're at. There, you you turn off the highway, uh, off of six seven one six seven first uh, McCain exit. Go to the light, hang a right, as though you're going to go to uh, Hooters. Come around that back road there and go out, and it's going to be over on the left. In fact, I I know I've seen their their sign there now, so. That's where we'll be at early in the morning. And then as soon as I have any information for you, I'll repeat it to you. Because as you know, in uh, my show, uh, my life is an open book. I keep I keep it open to you so you know what's going on. So did you watch uh, the debate last night? I watched some. Not a lot. I got to be honest with you. I didn't watch a lot of it. How can you put up with that inanity? They should all have to, you know, the way I think they should come out on stage is in one of those little tiny clown cars, and then they all have to get out and they have the big shoes on and the big bow ties that squirt water or the flower that squirts water or whatever. It's a bunch of clowns. They are, do you honestly believe what these people are telling you and what they're going to do? And They're going to spend trillions of dollars and because they're going to spend all that money, your life is going to be better. Is that what, do you really believe has our country come to the point that they honestly believe the only way you can have a good life is if the government tells you how you have to live your life? Crazy. I mean, absolutely uh, crazy. Uh, let me give you a, a good example of this. Senator Warren last night was asked about her foreign policy and climate change. Listen to what she had to say. say. Here's cut number two. 
we need to work on every front on climate change. It is the threat to every living thing on this planet, and we are running out of time. Every time the scientists go back, they say we have less and less time than we thought we had. But that means we've got to use all the tools. One of the tools we need to use are our regulatory tools. I have proposed, uh, following Governor Inslee, that we, by 2028, cut all carbon emissions from new buildings, by 2030, carbon emissions from cars, and by 2035, all carbon emissions from the manufacture of electricity. That alone, those three, will cut our emissions here in the United States by 70%. We can do this. We also need to help around the world to clean, but understand this one more time. Why doesn't it happen? Thank as you. long as Washington is paying more attention to money than it is to our future, we can't make the changes we need to make. We have to attack the corruption head on so that we can save our planet. There you go. There you go. So she mentioned that this would be a part of her foreign policy. How? How? How's that going to be part of your foreign policy? You're going to tell people you can't be our allies if uh, you don't uh, do what you're supposed to be doing about uh, uh, climate change? And by the way, China is not going to be one of our allies. They'll just give us the middle finger if we try to tell them that they can't build coal-fired generating plants and make electricity. They're building two of those a week, a week. We're saying you can't have one anymore. The Democrats, that's theirs. You know, their war on coal that they tried to get, that the president has relieved the coal industry of here thus far. And they never talk about all the jobs that are going to be lost. And when all those jobs are lost and the, uh, you know, the economy tanks, what do you do then? And by, what did she say, 2035, we'll cut our carbon footprint by 70%? Senator, you know that's not enough. I mean, the person who's the face of uh, climate change for the Democratic Party, AOC, has said, you got to get to zero. Of course, I've yet to understand if we get to zero, However, third world countries, countries like China and India, Pakistan, countries that need cheap uh, energy to be able to power their economies, that if they don't make these changes like we're making, all that we're doing is cutting our throats. We're, we're, we'll be committing... Uh, you know, our own form of uh, suicide for our country. That's what will happen. So just keep that in mind about Senator Warren. And then her answer about Afghanistan, I can't believe that they even brought it up, to be honest with you, in this debate, but they brought Afghanistan up. This was her first answer last night. This is a cut number one. What we're doing right now in Afghanistan 
is not helping the safety and security of the United States. It is not helping the safety and security of the world. It is not helping the safety and security of Afghanistan. We need to bring our troops home. And then we need to make a big shift. We cannot ask our military to keep solving problems that cannot be solved militarily. We're not going to bomb our way to a solution in Afghanistan. We need to treat the problem of terrorism as a worldwide problem. And that means we need to be working with all of our allies, our European allies, our Canadian allies, our Asian allies, our allies in Africa and in South America. We need to work together to root out terrorism. It means using all of our tools. It means economic investment. It means expanding our diplomatic efforts instead of hollowing out the State Department and deliberately making it so we have no eyes and ears in many of these countries. We need a foreign policy that is about our security and about leading on our values. There you go. As though we're not working with our allies in our battle against terrorism. Has she not sat in front of any TV set during any of the attacks that have occurred over in Europe about how we were sharing information with them? In fact, in the last big terrorist attack that happened over in France, that they had gotten information from our CIA and had ignored it. They were given information. We had heard things. We shared it with them. They did nothing with it. And a lot of our allies refuse to go in and root out terrorism. How do you root root it out? It's very simple. You go in and you kill the terrorists. French don't really want to do it. British don't really want to do it. You hear from time to time that uh, there's been times that the United States has tried to lead and take care of those things, and nobody wants to put their troops out there. It's always our American troops that are going out there. And she says it's not giving any kind of um, protection to the Afghanis. Pull all of our troops out and see what happens. I mean, I'm I'm not saying that we can save Afghanistan. That's not what I'm saying. But you have got to come to grips with the fact that when we leave, there will be a bloodbath. Because the people that are in control of that uh politic over there, their government in Afghanistan only stands because American fighting men are there to allow them to stand. When we're gone, Taliban takes over. There's no doubt about it. Everybody says that's what's going to happen. So we got to make up our mind. Is that what you want to do? Because if that's what happens, do they bring back the, uh, the bases for the terrorists to train at? And if we've pulled out, where do we pull our troops out at? If we're going to pull out, it would seem to me the 
judicious thing to do was to make sure that uh, you keep yourself within striking distance or we'll be back and starting from square one all over again. I'm sure we don't really want to do that. And the last thing that she said, and I want you to pay attention to this, solving Afghanistan, quote, means economic investment. She never said how much. We've already spent billions there. How many more billions do we spend? And if we're pulling our troops out, who are going to give all that money to? The Taliban? I mean, there were so many follow-up questions that should have been thrown at the senator. But the uh, ABC... uh, Uh, moderators didn't made me want to puke all right let's get a break in we got to do that's 23 minutes after two got more i i thought there was two instances on the debate that i thought two of the dumbest things were said one make no you know it's no big surprise o'rourke and what he had to say about guns. All right, we got to play what he said. And the other one was, I mean, Beto said two things. I mean, he's when he talked about guns, talked about AR-15s and 47s. He also talked about that Trump, I'm going to quote him here, Trump, his word, not mine, directed the mass shooting in El Paso. Directed. Now, that means he took a direct impactful action to make it possible. I would almost say that that's the stupidest thing said last night until you look at what Bernie Sanders said about the United States has the highest child poverty rate. We'll talk about both of those. They're both close. I mean, this is a nose-to-nose at the finish line for these two. On the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about uh, Allstate Insurance with the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. He'd like to sit down with you, go over your insurance, and show you how they can make your insurance payments smaller, but your coverage bigger. All you have to do is call them and set up a time to sit down with them. Call them at 501-819-0373. That's 501-819-0373. 0373, and then uh, they'll set up time for you to come over to uh, 3920 East Keel Avenue in Sherwood, sit down, and they'll show you how what they do at the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency can benefit you. That's the Dwayne Smith Insurance Agency. They get Mr. Mayhem locked up over there and uh, Allstate Insurance. Okay, so here's a question for you, Zach. You're a wrestling fan like I am, wrestling. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, said these three wrestlers are the greatest wrestling's biggest stars today. Okay. Who do you name? That are wrestling currently right now. I didn't say they're wrestling. I just said they are the biggest stars today. You know what? I would say The Rock, Stone Cold, and uh, probably himself or Hulk Hogan. Okay. You got two of them. Mm -hmm. Hulk Hogan. And uh, Steve Austin. Steve Austin, okay. I would have said The Rock, too. 
But he said, the undertaker. He rates the undertaker before he rates the rock. Hmm. All right, back with you. Uh, Just before we went to break, I had a story in front of me about Ric Flair saying that Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, and The Undertaker were the three biggest stars in professional wrestling. Here's something else he said. He said, if the guys don't watch it in WWE, the women will be headlining the big shows, the big pay-per-views. And he's got a point. But I do think that he missed the mark on the third person. As much as I like The Undertaker, and I love The Undertaker, but The Rock had more impact than what The Undertaker did. And, uh, you know, you'd have to put Mick Foley in there. He'd be, he'd be in the top ten for sure. Uh, I don't know if Terry Funk would be or not. He was he was pretty big in his day. But Shawn Michaels? Definitely Shawn Michaels. Uh, Think about Kurt Angle. Angle. Mm-hmm. Who was the guy, uh, the, the, the two that... Were the tag team the Edge the Edge brothers was that what that Edge one? and Christian yeah um, Edge I think had a huge following yeah Edge definitely blew up I would say you know but you know that that'll be an interesting choice in the top ten I would say more top fifteen or twenty for Edge okay but um he's definitely a big name um I would think Triple H is a name that people will bring up uh, how about uh, uh maybe was it Sean um, Whose brother got killed? Um, not Sean. Um, oh, you think about Bret Hart? Bret Hart. Now, Bret Hart would definitely be up there. Yeah, because yeah. he's, he's big, big mm-hmm. time. People love him. They yeah, love Bret him. Hart. Who else? Real quick. Goodness gracious. Can't think of him off the top of my head that fast. How about Triple H? I would brought him. Yeah, Triple H for sure. Um, but he would have been, you know, with the uh, his group. He would have been the only one in the top ten. Oh, Guerrero, yeah. Guerrero wasn't in the top ten, and uh, neither was um, uh, who was the really big guy. Um, yeah, I can't think of his name now. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I just think he missed that one. There's no doubt Hulk Hogan was huge. Oh yeah, huge. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course, he wasn't. Uh, the WWF guy. He was uh, before that. He was he was with Turner. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's interesting. Now, if you if you throw all that together, then it gets really crazy. So anyway, and maybe we'll bring that up a little later when Tim Lim and uh, Mark Pellegrini get here. We we'll talk a little wrestling and start making our top ten lists. That'd be kind of interesting to do. All right. With that said and done, let me move back talking about the. Uh, you know, the uh, the clown debate that happened last night and the two statements that were made last night, uh, two, two people last night made some of the most outrageous statements. Let's start off a better. All right, O'Rourke. Let's start off. Let me play a piece. I had to go out and get it. And this is dealing with guns. All right. The AK, 
AR-15s, AR-47. And here's what he had to say. You said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers, when we see that being used against children and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15. And that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Thank you. I want to say this. I'm listening to the people of this country. The day after I proposed doing that, I went to a gun show in Conway, Arkansas, to meet with those who are selling AR-15s and AK-47s and those who are buying those weapons. And you might be surprised there was some common ground there. Folks who said, I would willingly give that up, cut it to pieces. I don't need this weapon to hunt, to defend myself. It is a weapon of war. So let's do the right thing. Let's bring everyone in America into the conversation. I can bet you. If I could go to that gun show and talk to the people who talked to O'Rourke, none of them said what he just said they said. Did not. Did not. Anyway, here's the other thing. Let, let's, let's get some, some uh, logic into this. Made for the battlefield. AR-15, 47 maybe so, 15 not. It is a knockoff of a military weapon. It doesn't shoot automatic. It doesn't shoot bursts of three. What do I mean bursts of three? In combat, you don't want to just pull the trigger and go through a whole clip or a whole magazine in a very short period of time. I mean, there might be a time that that would be called for, but basically the bang, 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 bang. That's what you're looking at. Three shots. You're looking at three shots because you're going to get more shots out of your, uh, your magazine at that point that somehow he thinks that the NATO rounds the 223 and whatever used in uh, the AR-15 and uh, the, the AK-47 somehow is more deadly than like my 308 is a fallacy. That's not true. And the reason that young lady died and bled out was not because of the bullet that it was some kind of special bullet that goes in and and causes mass destruction as it passes through your body. Uh, She died because there wasn't enough uh, ambulances in that area to handle the people who had been injured and shot 
at the uh, that Walmart. Good possibility uh, they got her to the hospital. They could have saved her life. So most of the stuff that he just said was BS. Just let's be truthful about that. It was BS. Then he uh, mentioned this towards uh, a little later on as, you know, he got that big crowd response. So best thing that he could do is to try to come back and address again uh, something about guns. And he did. Here's what he had to say about the president. On August 3rd in El Paso, Texas, two things became crystal clear for me and I think produced a turning point for this country. The first is just how dangerous Donald Trump is, the cost and the consequence of his presidency. A racism and violence that had long been a part of America was welcomed out into the open and directed to my hometown of El Paso, Texas, where 22 people were killed, dozens more grievously injured by a man carrying a weapon he should never have been able to buy in the first place, inspired to kill by our president. Inspired to kill. By our president. He should be ashamed of himself. He should be ashamed. He's not because, see, he wants to be president. And he'll say whatever he damn well needs to say that he thinks he's got to say to get off of the 2% that he's got right now and get more people on his bus so that he can continue to to be in this uh, presidential field inspired this guy to go out and kill unbelievable i i will say that 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 that's the most radical thing said last night all right we'll get to bernie sanders when we come back because bernie sanders said pretty dumb thing last night as well you know senator warren didn't say something last night how much all her programs are going to freaking cost us trillions of dollars. I like how they say, we're going to give you Medicare for all. Medicare for all. We can give you free health care. Of course, we're going to tax you thousands of dollars a year. It's free. It's free. I always like the the old saying, if you really want to know, you know, how expensive medicine really is, wait till it's free. Then you're going to find out how really expensive medicine can get to be. Hey, if you've got type 2 diabetes like I do, you know that I can really get you down in the dumps, make you feel like you're stuck. Knows that you got a lot to take on. You got to eat right. You got to exercise. Uh, you got to, you know, make sure you don't eat a whole lot of carbs and things of that nature. But there's good news. Because there's a new study that might be able to help. If you suffer from uh, type 2 diabetes and are only on metformin, you might qualify for this new study being done by Applied Research Center of Arkansas. If you become a participant, you'll receive study-related care at no cost and compensation. You'll be paid for time and travel. There are some requirements. Uh, you have to have an A1C of 8 or above. You uh, must um, use metformin only, and you have to be 18 years of age or older. And then you have to call. 
or you got to go on the website. Call 501-954-7822 or go to arcarkansas.com. All right, just came out. Felicity Hoffman has been sentenced to four day, or 14 days in jail for her part in the buy-offs to get her kid into, into school. More coming your way in just a moment here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so running close to hyperbole was um, Senator Bernie Sanders when he talked about child poverty in the United States. Here's cut five. We are the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and yet we have the highest child poverty rate of almost any country on earth. Play that again. We are the wealthiest country in the history of the world, and yet we have the highest child poverty rate of almost any country on earth. Yeah, yeah, no, not even close. Not even close. As I always say about poverty in America, when you look at poverty in America, it's not children with bloated stomachs and flies crawling on their eyes like you see over in Africa and stuff. It is not that. Is there poverty in America? Yeah. Uh, But the reason we never are able to defeat it is because they keep raising what is poverty in America. They just keep adding, well, if you're not making, you know, let's say they started off by saying, if you were making under $5,000 a year, okay, that was poverty. Within 20 years, it would be if you're not making over $11,000, you're in poverty. That's the way poverty, the way it's handled here uh, in our country. To say that we have the highest child poverty rate of almost any country on earth, man, if you can't, if no one is willing to call BS on that, then there ain't nobody thinking. That's just the bottom line. There ain't nobody thinking at all. Well, I don't know. I just, I, I hear people, and that that's the closest number two, okay, right behind O'Rourke. Uh, unless it was Yang thing that he's going to give $12,000, you know, to some people. And what was funny is because it's, uh, he's, his whole program is I want to give everybody a thousand dollars a month. So I'm going to send you 12,000. It's a thousand dollars. No difference. It's like when you look up, uh, and you're walking through, um, one of the grocery stores and it says, uh, you know, each one of these is 50 cents. And then you see another sign and it says two for a dollar. Really? What a buy. Anyway. All right. Last but not least, nothing has to do with the debate, but does have to do with how Nancy Pelosi doesn't want to see impeachment. (laughs) I'm just telling you, does not want to see impeachment happen because the Democrats are going to lose, lose big, and it's going to look bad for them going into the election. She said it. 50 different ways. Now, she said it one more time yesterday. Here's what she had to say. 
I'm not answering any more questions on this subject. Why is it that you're hung up on a word over here when lives are at stake over there? All right. So there you go. She doesn't want to talk about impeachment. That's that's what it was all about. She didn't want to talk about impeachment. The reason they want to talk about impeachment is because Nader and some of the other ones there at the, in the House, that's what they're talking about. We're starting an inquiry now. We're looking into it. So what can I tell you? That is the way it has all gone down so far. All right, so if you didn't hear just a moment ago, I was uh, announcing Felicity Huffman, or Hoffman, was given 14 days in, in prison. Hard labor, bread and water only. I made that part up. All right. 14 days in prison for spending $500,000 to make sure your kid gets into the school of their choice. They gave Felicity, oh, Mark just came in. They just gave Felicity Hoffman uh, 14 days in, in jail. It's Aww. a tough, I'm just telling you, it's a, I, I'm just wondering, is it only bread and water? I bet she spent longer at a, like a rehab clinic, and it's probably been a lot worse. It could have been. It could have been. I, I'm just wondering if she goes there and then she gets out, and the next role that she'll be cast in is playing a prison inmate, and she's already <laughs> done her background well, uh, study. How long did Martha Stewart get in prison for tax evasion? Yeah, that was over a year, oh. if I remember that correctly. Wow, tax tax evasion, they really lock you away, but for uh, bribing Yeah, because that's the government's yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, they don't care about uh, bribing universities. That's, that's right. somebody else's problem. <laughs> I think the right way of doing this, what you tell me what you think. She gave a half a million dollars to get her kid into, I think it was Harvard, if I'm, maybe some someplace else. I, I lose track now of how many of these uh, higher institutions of learning were willing to oh, bend the rules for their kids. Because Harvard's so strapped for cash. Yeah, you know, they, absolutely. They need that money. So think about this. she, The kids that would not have gotten in because they put her in there, she should have to give a half a million dollars for them to go to school. Well, if they could look up uh, who it was who was, you know, last on the list who got there, who was going to make it, but then got bumped off the list to make room for her kid... If they could figure out who that was, that person deserves five hundred million or five hundred thousand dollars. That'd be pretty yeah. good. Yeah, I think that would be good. that mm-hmm. would be apropos justice at that. Not to think that she's gonna be spending uh fourteen days in jail doesn't you know, doesn't uh, hurt my feelings any. However, to think that she's gonna go be locked up and uh, you know it's open, a, open. What, what do they what do they call it when they put you out in the in general populace? I don't expect she's going to be in general populace. Yeah, she's probably going to be one of those minimum security, you know, honor system. Probably so. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, Mark will be back with me in the next hour. So will Doctor Tim Lim. It's all coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. That's what I'm saying, Mark. When when Wesley Snipes went to prison. <laughs> For three for three years for uh, uh, you know not paying his taxes when he got out he couldn't play Blade anymore. Well, now did the uh, the tax evasion sentence kill his career or did Blade Three kill his career? It could have been Blade Three. <laughs> I like Blade Three. Yeah, Blade I enjoyed it. Oh. So I didn't like Ryan Reynolds in it, but that's okay. You Is know, it? that's the second worst movie that Ryan Reynolds made. Number one was Green Lantern. Yeah. Well, 
Uh, Wolverine Origins, I would, yeah. uh, I would argue that one. Well, he wasn't in it long enough to even yeah. be in a movie. <laughs> That's the way I kind of looked at that when he's standing there and he's mouth tall. That was not shut. him. That wasn't him? No. He was, so he was only in that movie for about 15 minutes, and then at the end they got Scott Adkins to play nah. the Deadpool uh, uh, So that was a double that playing? Was, that was a oh. double playing him. Okay, yeah. so we're talking Scott Adkins is a, a martial yes. artist. Uh-huh. He's made a mm. lot of B-movies in his career. Mm-hmm. What was the series that he did? He did a series of movies. Was uh, it about ninjas? It was called yeah, like ninja, ninja something. something. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, he was a ninja. He's, you know, the whole ninja thing drives me crazy because that's not what ninjas were when ninjas really were if, a real thing. If you see a ninja, then it's not a very good ninja. That's exactly <laughs> right. Not good at all. There's a couple of ninja movies that were really good. There's some guy from Thailand that played a ninja one time that in one of the... I don't know. I it may have been made over in Indonesia. I don't know, but it, is there an Indonesia now, or is that? I have no idea. Or is that just post World War Two? I think Indonesia so? still exists. I'm just but, saying. Uh, isn't know, that your neck sure. of the woods, Tim? You've got family in the Philippines, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, Indonesia is actually it has the. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it has the second highest or the highest Muslim population in all yeah. of the world. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Most I people know. don't, when they, when they think Asia, they don't think of Muslims. But, I mean, you have Indonesia, you have bits of Thailand, and pretty much the whole southern part of the Philippines. Um, so, as far as a cultural swath is concerned, it's and pretty... And that's not good in the Philippines. They, no. They're not happy people over there. Not with not with uh, the Abu Sayyaf running around. Yeah, it's not happy. Yeah. They're not... Well, people, if they remember those... Uh, those uh, Christians that were taken hostage mm-hmm. over there a few years ago. And uh, that was a problem when I was over on Guam, in fact. When, we, really? when we'd go to the Philippines, we were told that we had, you know, this was something that we had to keep, you know, an eye out of. Because mm-hmm. they loved to be able to, you know, grab, grab you an American. Right. <laughs> Get yourself an American. All Americans It's are, like North are, Korea. You know, they take any opportunity they can to kidnap an American, yeah. Yeah, because we all got money. Except Dennis Rodman. <laughs> Except Dennis him. Rodman, yeah. I think it's different when you come in willingly. The worm. Right? <laughs> yeah. The worm. They, they like the worm. The worm brings basketball to, southern, <laughs> to uh, northern Korea. And I wonder if he tells the people, you know, if you take that and boil it really long, it's kind of tasty. <laughs> the worm? Oh. No, the... Uh, the basketball, the basketball. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even the uh, the shoes that he hands out. I don't know. What can I tell you? Anyway, bottom line, Tim Lim is here, and so is Mark Pellegrini. I've asked him to join me today. Uh, so, did you guys? Now, evidently, Mark, you did watch a little bit of the debate. Yes or no? Um, I didn't watch it. I got the highlights. Sorry. Okay, the cliff notes. It doesn't. Tim, did you watch? Or <laughs> Same thing. I got the highlights. You got the highlights. Yeah. Okay, I've been playing some of the highlights. Oh, I've been hearing them. <laughs> I mean, there's crazy. Beto was, just went off. We're gonna take your AK-15s. That AK-47. AK-47. AR-15. Thank you. Because you know that that that. Uh, ammunition that they use in those rifles are more deadly than any oh, other. Yeah. Ammunition. That's yeah. such a. I, Bullet's a bullet, I, you know. This is when I wish I was on satellite radio because I would call that for what it really, really is. <laughs> Manure? Uh, it's more. It's, <laughs> it's worse than that. It's, yeah, he, he it's said, just a flat-out lie. He said, if I'm not mistaken, he said it punches a hole in you the size of an orange and shreds your insides. Yes. Do you even know, like, the rounds that are in AR-15s? <laughs> no, he just watches action movies like John Wick where everyone explodes and they get hit by a bullet and he thinks that's – or it's like people who think and that silencers not, work. But he's but not even don't. using 
John Wick's not even using an AR-15. No, I know. He uses you know, like what, he, one, 1911s, I think? He's using like a, you know, was it a, a cock, uh, was that M5 or whatever, the, the automatic weapon that he's got? He's got, he's got real military rifles. <laughs> Those aren't play military rifles. Those are the real ones. Well, I'm paraphrasing here, but I like what Beto said where he said um, any weapon that can be used in the military should not be in civilians' hands. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Every weapon purchased by civilians as part of the Second Amendment can and is used by the military as low as pistols. So, I mean, what That's why you matter? should be able to buy them because right. our military has them and... Guess what? The Second Amendment was not passed for hunting. It wasn't passed for, I don't know, for whatever reason you think it was passed, other than to protect yourself against the tyranny of your own government. Right. And if you want to go even further than that, you have people saying, well, the Founding Fathers didn't have weapons of this caliber in mind. They had in mind uh, single-load muskets. The machine gun patent was in place 40 years prior the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Our founding fathers did have the foresight to know that the technology doesn't matter. It, I mean, the machine gun was around at that time. Cannons was, were around. Cannons were around. <laughs> and yet there were no stipulations that were preventing that. The idea was that, and the reason, and this is where um, a lot of those people will come in with the whole thing about the militia. You can't have a militia unless you have arms to basically act in opposition to standing government. Ask the Swiss. That's the Swiss, exactly. <laughs> That's how they do it. Everybody has their own, you know, uh, AK or whatever it is over there. I don't know what which brand that they keep at home, but everybody has to have it ready to go, and it's right there at the house, displayed, mm. where you can easily grab it. I don't know if I mentioned this on your show before or not, but if you're on the fence about keeping AR-15s and you're trying to justify it logically, like why would you need an AR-15 even for a home invasion. I suggest anyone listening out there to Google the L.A. riots, Koreatown. Yeah. Because there's that great photo of the one part of L.A. that was unscathed during the riots, and it was Koreatown. Why? All the Korean shop owners had stood, semi-automatic weapons. Stood up yeah. on top of the of roof. The roof of right. their businesses to keep the, the looters from their area. Right. And trust me, if you might be thinking to yourself, well, that's, a, that's an extreme occasion. That occasion happened, uh, you know, could you imagine if that was the mentality of those people a year or two before the riots happened? Oh, it's never going to happen to us. We don't need these high-powered weapons. Mm-hmm. A lot and of people got hurt and a lot of people got killed just a few years ago during the Obama administration during the Black Lives Matter riots. You yeah. know, all those Ferguson. people. Yeah, all those people probably wishing they had some sort of weapon to protect them from just mobs kicking in doors and, and looting businesses and turning over cars and setting neighborhoods on fire. Yeah, I mean, it happens. And it's not just to protect you from, you know, an evil government. It's to protect you from just a sudden riot that just springs up out of nowhere. Yes, that woman who was in the parking garage and five men uh, looked like they were looking to rape her. And she pulled a, a pistol that she had and started firing at them. And they ran away and saved her life. Mm-hmm. She says, and that's why I bought a that's why I bought a gun. Well, there's footage that's getting passed around um, like Twitter that from today in Minneapolis, and it's just camera footage of just a person and then six people just swarm him because they're in a gang, and they just absolutely stomp this random guy to pieces. And even after he's down and out, they just they keep going at him for no reason because mm-hmm. they can. Yeah, you know, he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
if he had a gun, maybe uh, he'd, he'd have uh, scared them off or defended himself if he had to. But yeah, it's it's a crazy yeah, and world a large out there group and of wanna... people. Nobody wants to be the right? first one to get shot. Even, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, even if so, even if we lived in a perfect world where banning guns meant criminals couldn't get guns either, even though that's not how it works. But even if it did. What's to protect you, one person, against a gang of six people who are going to swarm you and stomp and curb stomp you? Nothing. <laughs> except yeah, you don't want to get curb stomped. <laughs> yeah. Get so, an eternal smile. Don't <laughs> want that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's not fun. It is not fun at all. All right. So just for you two, I'm going to play Beto again. Last, uh, last <laughs> Oh, boy. Night. I want you to hear what he had to say about guns mark you got you got to hear this it's crazy and then the crowd goes crazy and then he doubled down and i'll play another piece that he had to say about the president and about the el paso first of all let's play that uh, long piece that we've got on the ar-15 and the ak-47 you said, quote, Americans who own AR-15s and AK-47s will have to sell them to the government, all of them. You know, the critics call this confiscation. Are you proposing taking away their guns, and how would this work? I am. If it's a weapon that was designed to kill people on a battlefield, if the high-impact, high-velocity round, when it hits your body, shreds, everything inside of your body because it was designed to do that so that you would bleed to death on a battlefield and not be able to get up and kill one of our soldiers. When we see that being used against children, and in Odessa, I met the mother of a 15-year-old girl who was shot by an AR-15, and that mother watched her bleed to death over the course of an hour because so many other people were shot by that AR-15 in Odessa and Midland. There weren't enough ambulances to get to them in time. Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. We're not going to allow it to be used against our fellow Americans anymore. Okay, I... I, I thank you. I hear your craziness here. Hold on, you got to hear this last, last part. I'm listening to the people of this country. The day after I proposed doing that, I went to a gun show in Conway, Arkansas, to meet with those who are selling AR-15s and AK-47s and those who are buying those weapons. And you might be surprised there was some common ground there. Folks who said, I would willingly give that up, cut it to pieces. I don't need this weapon to hunt, to defend myself. It is a weapon of war. So let's do the right thing, but let's bring everyone in America into the conversation. Republicans, Democrats, gun owners, and non-gun owners. All right. So anyway, uh, if you were in Conway at that gun show and better talk to you, and and you said you wanted to cut up your AR-15. Why would I, you be at a gun show? We, yeah, yeah, we want to talk to you. <laughs> well, no, so one, one thing in his story that, so he starts out by saying that um, the, uh, the, the AR-15 puts a hole in your body the size of an orange and shreds your insides up. But then he's telling this story about a, a girl who was shot by an AR-14 and took an hour to die. If the AR-14 put a 15. hole in your body, whatever, AR-15, if it put a, a hole in your body the size of an orange and shredded your insides up completely, you wouldn't take an hour to die. <laughs> no, you're right. No, he's just, I'm, I'm sure the story, he did meet with um, with a mother of a daughter who got shot and died, but his story about the uh, the violence of the AR-15 and the, the size of the holes it leaves in your body is, is just Hollywood make-believe. Of course it is. He's using hyperbole to try and rile people up to get them passionate about it instead of thinking logically, which is, you know, par for the course for well, politicians. Isn't it, isn't it strange that he's talking about taking away a constitutional right and taking away 
something that you can have and people are cheering for it you know they're like yeah take it away from us take away one of our rights like because probably they don't have one with you i mean yeah i don't have <laughs> well i don't have an ar-15 or an ak-47 either but uh if i ever want one it's nice to know i can buy one <laughs> i want to have a tommy gun yeah you know those were so the tommy gun was legal through pretty much the first half of Prohibition. Yeah. And what was great about it was it was concealable, which is why in those movies where when people have them in their trench coats, I mean, that was real. That was what they what they did. Violin cases. Yeah, yeah and it was not until the, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre that the FBI started training their officers on the use of the Tommy gun. But I don't know. I, I like them. I think they're really cool. To, ready for this? Used to be able to buy it through the Sears catalog. I believe it. And I re, because I remember as a kid, we used to be able to buy guns through the Sears catalog. Yeah. They send you, you send your gun to you through the mail, man. No big deal. You can still get one. All right. If you're willing to pay the government the amount of money you got to pay to get an, get the uh, license and you can afford the Tommy gun, which is probably $20,000. Yeah. Have you, I don't know if you covered this or not, but do you cover uh, Senator Briscoe Kane's response to Beto? No, I have not. Okay. So Briscoe Kane, in reply to this, he tweeted out last night, uh, hey, um, if you want my AR-15, come and get it. And so um, Beto O'Rourke has contacted law enforcement to investigate it as a death threat. Oh, Lord. And I'm like, he said, if you want my AR-15, come and get it. How you interpret it as a death threat. So a couple of things. One, that is a um, cowardly thing to do because it shows that you have no, you, you know he's talking hyperbolically. He's speaking metaphorically. Like, you know, if you want it, you're going to have to come and he, get he's it He's basically doing a Charlton Heston pride for my cold dead hands. Yeah, right. Kind of like yeah. Yeah. But the idea is he's also proving the point of why you, why the Second Amendment is important. You have this idiot, Beto O'Rourke, who's like, I'm going to come get your guns. Oh, yeah? Well, come and get it. Oh, I will. Well, that's why you have a and gun then he, And then he calls yourself. law enforcement to come and arrest you for disagreeing with them. Boy, don't you wish you had a gun to protect yourself? And then they probably a... <laughs> will try to take your other guns. Right, exactly. exactly. That's the way, that's the way and, it and works. And the audience still cheers for him and says, yeah, woo, take our guns, take away our Second Amendment rights, woo. It's sheep. <laughs> I think that perhaps, um, I don't know, PlayStation 4s teach kids to, to kill other kids. So I think we should take all of them away. Let's see if they cheer with that. They probably would. <laughs> I mean, it, it the, might. The, I the don't more know. they can censor, the more they can control. So yeah, they cheer for all of that. Okay, so you got the hyperbole of that last segment. Now let's hear the idiocy, the real idiocy yeah. from O'Rourke. And here's cut number four. On August third, in El Paso, Texas, two things became crystal clear for me, and I think produced a turning point for this country. The first is just how dangerous Donald Trump is, the cost and the consequence of his presidency. A racism and violence that had long been a part of America was welcomed out into the open and directed to my hometown of El Paso, Texas, where 22 people were killed, dozens more grievously injured by a man carrying a weapon he should never have been able to buy in the first place, inspired to kill by our president inspired to kill by our president. I mean, Donald Trump inspires me to do a lot of things, but killing is not one of them. That is that goes beyond hyperbolic statements. So of course. Is, is he going to talk about uh, that that guy in DC who tried to shoot a bunch of GOP members at a 
at a baseball game who was in was he inspired by yeah, Bernie that, Sanders that to wounded, shoot those people? Yeah, that wounded yeah, Scalise so anybody. badly. Yeah, Scalise, but he was trying to kill him. And he was he inspired by Bernie Sanders? And he's not going to say that. No, he's he's cherry picking uh, one lunatic to say that. Oh, he inspired. He was inspired by Donald Trump. No, he was a crazy person. Okay, so you had <laughs> you had a crazy pre- person there in El Paso who seemed to be, uh, you know, way, 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 way to the right. Then you go to Dayton, and there's way, way, way to the left. Yeah. Here's the common denominator. They're crazy. Exactly. That's how it works. All right, a break. 323, Tim Lim's here, Mark Pellegrini's here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back. Tim Lim is here, Mark Pellegrini's here. we got news coming up here in about three minutes. A little bit of time to talk. Uh, so why did you ask me if I take melatonin? Oh, my gosh. So I think people out there listening who might uh, work in front of computers, I have a twitchy eye. Okay. This has happened before, and I used to chalk it up to just sitting in front of a screen all day, but I've gone the last three or four days with kind of minimizing my screen time. So I've only been, like, looking in front of a computer for about four hours a day. The twitching went stop. So my wife, you know, who's a doctor, she told me, well, part of it is due to lack of potassium and magnesium to so start taking potassium magnesium supplements so i started doing that <laughs> and it's not working too well it's better but um i asked her i said how long does the uptake take and she said you know a couple hours and i said yeah i don't know if it's gotten better or not so then my dad who's in town um i asked him he's a doctor he used to be until he retired and i said i have a twitching eye and he said maybe it's your lack of maybe you have a lack of sleep and i thought to myself i get seven hours of sleep a night but you know i used to get eight so I don't know if that one hour difference is actually like causing it. Right. But then I thought to myself, I feel rested. I mean, after seven hours, I wake up. But then I know a lot of people who take melatonin as kind of something to help them sleep. It's long, you know, as far as getting their full potential. But I've never tried it myself. Yeah, I've never tried it. I sleep like a baby. Mm-hmm. Me too. You know, I really do. I go to bed. My wife always complains because she'll be talking to me. Yeah, I fall asleep. <laughs> I get in bed. It's time to go to sleep. It's not time to, to suddenly solve all the problems of the world or your marriage. Well, I, it's funny. I'm, I can't do it. You know, it's funny. Maybe getting older helps because when I was a kid, I used to not be able to sleep at night because I was always thinking, like my mind was racing. I can't even begin to tell you the last time I didn't get a you know good night's rest or be able to fall asleep. Well, get ready because when you get older, older, <laughs> You start going back to those younger days of not being able to sleep oh, again. Oh, boy. Can't yeah. wait. <laughs> Can't wait for that, huh? I got to get up every day at 6.30 for work, so I'm in bed by like 9.30 or 10. So. Wow, yeah. man. You got a heck of a social life, don't you? <laughs> on the just, weekends, sure. Yeah, on the yeah. weekend. That's the only time. Who goes partying on a Wednesday night? <laughs> that's the worst part of it, though, because on Sunday night, you stay up late, and then you got to get up early again on Monday. That's tough. <laughs> It's no, tough I, to do that. I mean, remember when I was a little kid, you know, I'm like, oh, bedtimes, and I'm an adult, I can stay up as late as I want. You know, now <laughs> I'm in bed by 10 o'clock of you know, my own volition, like, oh, I got to get up early, I better go to bed early. I need to go to bed, yeah. I try to yeah. get eight every night, you yeah. know. So you sleep longer than I do. I, I, I close my eyes at, uh, I go to bed usually 9, 30, 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'll read for about an hour, and then I'll turn over and... Say good night, Louise, because I'm out. <laughs> Don't take me long. I picked that up in the military. You know, you sleep when you're told to sleep. And uh, so I'd go to bed and I close my eyes, and next thing I know, the alarm goes off. Well, a lot of people should stop sleeping with their phones on their, you know, their next to their bed. 
because that's they just stay up all night looking on the internet on those things anyway. Yep. All right, back with you. It's uh, been a week, but the uh, Little Rock Comic Con did very well this year. You guys were there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was fantastic. Was it Little Rock or Ar- no, Arkansas Comic Con? Arkansas, yeah. yeah. yeah it was in Little Rock, though. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Arkansas Comic Con. And uh, I remember when that got started, and it wasn't very big at all. Mm-hmm. And now it's turned into something pretty doggone nice. It's um, I don't want to know. I don't know for sure, but it seems like it's uh, it doubles. It's a number of people every year. I think this is the third year we've done it. And so yeah, they're just um, every year they just take up a little bit more of that convention center space. I think they're going to use the whole thing. You said next year. You got to tell me. I want you to tell the listeners about Sean Astin. That's too. <laughs> that's just. Too funny. I'll just I'll paraphrase it. So Sean Astin stands up at the very end of the show and basically says, "Hey, I'm Sean Astin, and I'm a liberal, and I'm from you know California, and all the people here are nice, and it wasn't something I was expecting, but I would love it if well, someone thank you we're going to tar and feathering <laughs> right. So. It's like I would I would love it if someone could give me a tour of the Clinton Presidential Library." And um, I think people were very excited when they first heard him talk, and at the end it was just like the slow clap. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, uh, my we had a friend who was a vendor, and he just rolled his eyes, and he said, "That's that. That's a kind of weird mentality where you know, just by his statement, he you know that he kind of prejudged you based what? on that." And I don't get that because well, I've done shows from- in California and New York. I mean, and I, there was not a part of me that would think like, "Hey, you know." I came here from Arkansas, and I thought, oh, Yankees were a bunch of backwards, you know, degenerates. Yeah, I thought you guys were all MS-13. <laughs> right, well, he's a, I don't know, California celebrities act like they're on an alien planet when they go to a red state or to the yeah, south. Yeah, I know, agree. Like, oh, I thought you'd all be plucking banjos. Well, listen, to, and... listen to Beto when he's talking about going to Conway, Arkansas. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah, I just, yeah, it. I'm glad to see that it's become bigger and better. I had uh, Greg Henry... Mm-hmm. on and uh i'll have him on again next year and promote uh, i'll try to get him on about a week before this next time and then uh, let him talk about it because uh, they're taking up the whole convention mm-hmm. center next year so it's becoming significantly uh, significantly bigger and the other thing too is besides that sean Aston story i do want to say that convention was fantastic it was excellent that was actually probably our second best convention as far as sales are concerned uh, for the whole year, and everyone was really nice. Everyone was super polite. So overall, it was fantastic. The guest lineup was was also was good. the best one that they've ever had. So this year, I mean, I got to meet Michael Bean, you know, uh, Reese from uh, Terminator and Hicks from Alien and Johnny Ringo from Tombstone. I got to meet him, super nice guy. Uh, Kevin Sorbo was there. Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, was there. Uh, Greg Sipes, the My voice of Michelangelo. My son got a picture of him oh, and yeah? Conroy. Yeah. Oh, cool. And what was cool, I'll tell a really fast story about uh, my son Chris. Uh, he called his buddy and told him, I'm here getting my picture taken with Conroy, right? He says, no. He said, he's, and he asked Conroy, you talked to my buddy? <laughs> and he picked, took the phone and started talking to him. He says, Greg, get to the Batcave. <laughs> uh, that's cool. And he recorded, the, the his friend had recorded the uh um, the phone call, and yeah. he thought it was really cool. That's done. really awesome that uh, Conroy would do that because a lot of voice actors won't do, like, little voice recordings for you. They'll uh, Their handlers will step in between you and the person and, and really? say, nope, they're not doing that. They will not do voiceovers. And then, yeah, a lot – well, not all not all voice actors, but the, the kind of 
cruddy ones. We'll, yeah, we'll do well, that. Yeah. The ones that uh, you know they they're wringing every penny out of their career yeah. that they can, which they better because it's not going to last very long. We met Jim Cummings last year. He's the he's a very famous guy. He's the voice of Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Darkwing Duck. Wow. Yeah, and what he does is when you go up for an autograph, depending on which character you get. He will talk to you in that character's it voice. Was, it was a surprise. It was very surreal. <laughs> yeah. Because so I, both times, so the first time I got Winnie the Pooh, and the second time my wife likes the princess and the frog, so I got um, Ray, who was the firefly in that show. But the first time I kind of expected it, because it's Winnie the Pooh, and you know yeah. you expect him to say that. So uh, you know he autographed something for me, and he was like, Oh bother! This is really nice. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And then the second time, you know, I got Ray the Firefly, and this is really interesting. So, spoiler alert: in um, in Princess and the Frog, Ray is in love with um, uh, a star, a star named yeah. Evangeline, right? And so I, t- I asked Jim. I said, when you sign this to my wife, can you put down uh, to my wife Madison from Ray? And in the Ray voice, he got, you know, it's a Cajun accent. And he goes, uh-uh-uh, oh, 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 because everybody know that Ray only in love with Evangeline. And so he would not sign it uh, the way I wanted him to. So he signed it in a different way. Like, he was so dedicated to the character. Oh, but he funny. talked to me in the Ray voice as if he was a character. And then I think Mark got an autograph from him. I did. So when I went up to see him... Um he has, a, you know, a whole array of glossies that has a picture of, like, different characters he's done. And I picked up the Darkwing Duck one, and I walked over to him. And I said, hi. And he's like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. I shook his hand. He's like, oh, so who do you got there? And I showed him the picture, and it was Darkwing Duck. And he goes in his voice, like, let's get dangerous, you know. <laughs> and I was like, and, you know, that, that's a hit every time. He makes every single person he talks to, as soon as he does that, they make some breakdown laughing, you know. Well, I'm great. sure. Oh, yeah. And he um he, he signed it. I talked to him for a few minutes. I asked him, like, so is uh, Darkwing Duck going to have another cameo in the, the new DuckTales cartoon? And um, he's like, well, I can't tell you for sure because of NDAs and all that. But personally, it's it's my opinion that it's DuckTales that's having a uh, cameo in a Darkwing Duck show. <laughs> no, it was Yeah, no, he's a really cool guy. And um, I've talked to him a few times on Twitter. He's actually really open to talk with his fans on social media. He's a great guy. Uh, that's a guy that's going to have a very long career. Mm-hmm. And he's very know? friendly. And yeah. um, I think he's a Christian, too. So very wholesome guy. How's uh, Sorbo? How, how did how he's? Did he oh, oh my gosh! Man. This is our second year. This is our second show I mean, in he's a row. Pretty cool dude. Yes, and mm-hmm. according to so we're friends with um one we're friends with the owner of Bell County Comic Con in Texas, and so he runs the show. And he said Kevin Sorbo was one of the nicest people he'd ever met. I mean, like he was, I think, their A list celebrity to show up. And he said that everyone had a positive interaction with him. He's just the nicest guy. So his booth was right next to Michael Bean's, and so I was in line to to see mm-hmm. Michael Bean. And uh, Sorbo was, he was really excited to see everybody who came up. He was hugging people. He was, he was, he was standing. He wasn't sitting down while meeting people, you know. He, oh, he was just cool. standing to greet every person who came by. And he had, um, he had double tables. And, all, and so mo- people probably know Sorbo mostly from Hercules' Legendary Journeys. But um, I guess if you listen to this station, then you, you most assuredly know that he's a Christian movie producer. Yep. Um, and he's done a lot. Had him of, on the show talking about it. Oh yeah, and he's he's done a lot of Christian uh, books and things. So his uh, he had a double wide table, and all of his books were on that table. And and so I would say just from watching from the other line that as many people who came up there to get their Hercules stuff signed, just as many came up to buy his Christian books and and talk to him about those sorts of things. Yeah, and he's, he's very open and happy about he it. He and his yeah. wife are very very uh, intricately tied into the Christian mm-hmm. community. Really, really cool. How was Michael Bean? Michael <laughs> Bean was this so great. <laughs> Michael Bean 
was incredibly nice, and he was also very, very talkative. So the line, um, when I went into it, because I went into it on Sunday, so it was the less busy day. So the line, as I had about six people in front of me, um, and but it took like an hour to get to the line because he just he loved Talks talking. To everybody. And every person who came by, just he just talked and talked and talked. And the uh, the couple in front of me it was a husband and wife. Um, the wife, I uh, sat down to get her photo taken with him. And as soon as uh, the lady picked up her camera to take the photo, the wife just broke out crying and couldn't stop sobbing. And Michael Bean just was like laughing at her and he's like <laughs> patting her on the back, trying to calm her down because so she could take a nice photo where her yeah. face wasn't red and her eyes weren't puffy. And he yeah, was just like laughing because she was so excited to see him. I um So I got him to sign a photo uh, from Terminator. It was one of those stills of him and Sarah Connor um, as a gift for my brother and his wife on their anniversary cool. because my brother idolized all of Michael Bean's characters, so I know he's going to get a kick out of that when uh, when he gets it. <laughs> he's such a great actor, and he has been in some of the seminal movies that oh, are out yeah. there. I mean, Terminator, Aliens, Navy Tombstone, Seals. yeah, Seals. Tombstone. Get out of here with that. <laughs> I mean, those are all great motion. Well, I mean, you were with Chuck. Yeah, who was the, who was the big actor in Navy Seals? Charlie Sheen. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> you got to be with yeah, Charlie Sheen. I'm sure there was a lot of chicks hanging around. <laughs> Oh yeah, Charlie Sheen was there, and there's a there's a lot of Amy other was things there. going around. Too. Amy was there. All right, so anyway, no, I I just think that he's a good actor. Uh, he was, and I and I don't like, understand why he doesn't get a, no. a better shot. So that's the thing is, I mean, I, I feel like he should have been bigger than he got. Yeah, but he's 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 obviously he's been in movies that are the greatest of all time. Oh, he was in The kind of, Rock. I forgot. Yeah, that. he was yeah. in The Rock. Yeah, yeah he was. Uh, he was. The misunderstood leader of the terrorists, wasn't he? Yeah. No. <laughs> or was he the leader of the... He was the leader of the field team that the got field, killed. Oh, they yeah. Got killed. I they cannot be laid out order. right yeah. at the beginning of the yeah. movie. Yeah, when they, when they get out in the... Was it the showers? The showers, yeah. yeah. And they all get shot, yeah. Um, no, he just... Uh, I don't know. He never hit, like, the, the Tom Cruise level. I, I have a theory of why it is. I think it's his build. Like, during the 80s, you'll notice that was the rise of Stallone, the rise no. of Schwarzenegger, yeah. the rise of Lundgren, and they had a build. Like, they all look like bodybuilders. Michael Bean kind of has that, you know, Chris Pratt type body. He, he was where he's very like a wiry. Guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I guess, think that had to do with yeah, it. Yeah, that wasn't what people wanted at the time, even though that's what more like action heroes now are. We've kind of curved back around to that. But yeah, he had a he had a good career. He was in a lot of great movies and played a lot of great characters. I mean, there's nothing to scoff at. Tell but. the tell the audience the thing he told you when he told you about uh, when you talk about Tombstone. So when, when I, I got a I got a picture with him when I, when I uh, stood next to him to get my photo. Uh, I was like, I was just making chat, chit chat with him. I was like, oh yeah, Tombstone. You know, I don't really like westerns, but uh, I saw Tombstone, and it's the uh, I felt it's the only western you ever need to see. And he, <laughs> and he uh, he put his arm around me to take the picture, and as the lady was taking the photo, yeah, he he says, um, you should have watched Unforgiven instead. <laughs> and she took the photo while I was laughing. <laughs> yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> That's very funny. I'm just looking here at some of the movies. The Scorpion King 4. Oh, they're up to four now. Quest for Power, yeah. Ooh. He was King Yannick yeah. in that movie. It might not be a... Don't start from the, the bottom, the most re, or the top, the most yeah, recent I ones, know. maybe. Go down that's that's usually where bottom. you get to the, the more embarrassing stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's made 104 movies. Yeah. He's Holy cow. Movie. He's made a lot of movies. I didn't realize there was that many. 93, Tombstone, Johnny Ringo. That is such a great movie. K2 in 1991. Oh, yeah, Another K2. good movie. forgot about that. Uh, Navy SEALs in yeah. 1990, Lieutenant James Curran. The Abyss, 
Oh, he was in the Abyss. Lieutenant uh, Coffee. That's um a James Cameron movie. I really yeah. think about the good one, The Seventh Sign. Mm, Remember that one? one, Russell Quinn. Rampage, nineteen eighty-seven. Aliens in eighty-six. Yeah. Deadly Intentions. That was TV movie. And what else he did? He was on Hill Street Blues for a while as Officer Randall Butman. Uh, the Terminator, Kyle Reese. The Lords of Discipline, I remember that in 83. The Fan in 81. What else was here? Hog Wild, he was in that. Anything <laughs> else? I don't see anything else here. Grease in 1978. Uh, he played Mike, a school athlete, but uncredited. But he was in it. <laughs> yeah, so once you get before Terminator, that was kind of his uh, his earlier roles when he wasn't really playing big Do parts. Do you know yeah. what his first show was on television? <laughs> what? He played Sandman back in 1977 on the TV series of Logan's Run. Oh, that's right. There was a Logan's Run TV series. They used to rerun that in the sci-fi channel in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's saying. The movie was really, really good. It seems like a concept that would lend itself to a TV series kind of easily. You know, it's a guy who's on the run because it's time for him to die and he's got to avoid the authorities. And yet TV series was awful. One of my favorite early series back in the day was uh, a Quinn Martin production. <laughs> okay. In Living Color on ABC. Oh, man. And uh, The Invaders. Do you guys ever saw The Invaders? No. I did. I watched The Invaders when it was on the Sci-Fi Channel. The I, only uh, way you could tell that they were Invaders was their little finger. <laughs> <laughs> They were all higher up, so they had the little finger and when they would drink and stuff. And that's <laughs> okay. how you could tell that they were aliens. And then when you shot them... Or British. They would, they would burn up. So you could never prove that he had killed an alien. Uh, because they, 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 they disappeared, yeah. yeah. It was a pretty good show. Roy well, Thinnes mm-hmm. was the uh, actor in that. You see, that was the great thing about growing up at least when I did in the late 80s, early 90s, watching the Sci-Fi Channel, was because they, in those days of cable, almost every, 90% of programming was reruns. So I got to watch, like, all the old Irwin Allen stuff, like Lost in Space and, you know, Land of the Giants and uh, uh, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. There you and, go. Yeah, now you named the big one. Yeah. And, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. And it shows how great those shows are because those shows are already pretty long in the tooth, you know, by 1992, 93. But uh, I still hurried home every day to watch them because they were so engaging, especially Lost in Space. That was my favorite of those. <laughs> the one that everybody ran home to watch when I was a kid, Dark Shadows. Oh, really? Yeah, that was a wow. soap opera, but I was yeah, actually really was a great show. with that. Because it was the, the soap opera kind of shot on video atmosphere somehow lent itself to horror and suspense. Uh so much better than you would assume it would, and I'm honestly surprised there were never more horror soap operas. It's kind of just Dark Shadows. I'm but, just telling you, man, yeah. Barnabas was the man. <laughs> he was huge. And I'm trying to think, uh, Kate, uh, one of the, uh, oh, trying to think now of the show that she went on to be a part of. They're making a new movie of it with the, the, three, the three ladies. They go on to be uh, crime fighters. The last one they made had uh, Charlie Charlie's Angel. Charlie's Angels, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, it was. I'm trying to think of the, her name. It was, she was a dark haired girl. Mm. And she she started in I, yeah, I liked dark, dark Shadows. Dark Shadows. I loved how uh, low rent and cheap it was. Like whenever they were in the woods and they would bump into a tree and the tree would wobble. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. And that's not, you're not making that up. That's true. All right. We got 10 minutes till four. We got to get a break in. Let's do that. And we'll come back and finish this first hour up. Got a couple more yet to go. We got some good things to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, so I'm going to say something that some people might find sacrilegious. <gasps> I, I liked all of Christopher Lee's Dracula stuff. He's better than Lugosi. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But mm-hmm. the greatest monster he ever played was the mummy. Yes, so he he was in the Hammer version of the mummy. <laughs> yeah, that was and a good movie. That was so, honestly... People, if you go back and if you've never seen the Universal Mummy movie and you only think you know what that movie's like, prepare to be disappointed when you go back and you the watch Karloff it this October. One, right? Yeah, the Karloff okay. one because he's only bandaged up for the first two minutes of the movie yeah. and the rest he's just an old guy in a fez. The, yeah. the fully bandaged up mummy walking around with his arms outstretched killing people, that was in the sequels, the Universal sequels, which are all pretty bad. Yeah. Honestly, it's not Universal's best work. The best mummy movie to have as a mummy going around killing dudes is the Hammer one with uh, Christopher Lee. Oh, he's so good and, in that movie. Uh, it also has, which is weird because they got an American actor. They imported him for that one. Uh, it was probably like a universal request, but I can't remember well, his Peter name. Peter Cushing was oh, in it. Oh, Peter Cushing course. was in it too, yeah. Uh, but uh, what was his name? He he was Herman Munster, and he was in Pet Cemetery. Uh, I can't recall his name, but he, he was in The Mummy. Um, he plays, I think, the police inspector, um, the oddly American police inspector in in, uh, in Britain. My favorite part of that movie is when Peter Cushing takes the spear and drives it through, you know, uh, Christopher Lee, mm-hmm. and Lee just grabs it and snaps it off, <laughs> you know, and just keeps coming. That's uh, great. That's some great. When I was a kid, scared the living tar out of me. Yeah, so you can't go wrong with if. A Hammer movie has Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. Oh, in they, it. they did great stuff. Yeah, Curse together. of Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula, or The Mummy, or uh, Horror Express. I think they were both in that one. You remember yeah. The Skull? Oh, I don't think I've seen The Skull. Oh, my God. Oh, no, that's I a gotta great look that one. Up. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> is, that, is that both of them in it? Yeah. Oh, okay. And that's it's really, really good as well. Oh, yeah. But uh, Christopher Lee said, I, I've read a bunch <laughs> of books about him, and they, he said that. The way, the reason he screwed up his back was in the movie The Mummy when he was carrying the woman at the end into the swamp. You remember mm-hmm. that part yeah. of it? Because she dies. Yeah. Oh, shouldn't yeah. Told you. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Of course, it came out in the 50s. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, it's your fault. But anyway, he, he was carrying it, and he had to do that, like, take, like, 19 times or something. And it threw his back out, and it bothered him the rest of his life. Oh, man. But he would, he just kept doing it even after he threw it out. He kept carrying her the way they asked him to. <laughs> well, so yeah. the, the Hammer actors were all classically trained. Yeah, and they were good. all the traditional gentleman actors who showed up to work every day wearing a suit. And even though they didn't have to, they showed up. You know, they're the stiff upper lip. Like Alec Guinness, um, when he was filming Star Wars and they're in uh, Ghana, wherever they were filming Tatooine. He'd just sit there in his suit, you know, in, in the 105-degree weather, just reading his newspaper. And you know. drinking his <laughs> cup of tea. And drinking his tea, yeah. <laughs> when they were filming, uh, so Boris Karloff was British as well, and he came to California to, you know, hit it big. 
And every when they were filming Universal Horror Movies with Karloff, every day at tea time they would stop so that he could drink his tea because they, they always followed the British rules. That was his thing. That was his thing. He was such a great actor. Oh, really, Karloff? Yeah. yeah. It's funny, really though. If you, is. if you ever listen to an interview with Karloff, he talked with a lisp, which he which he hid whenever he had dialogue in his movies. Mm-hmm. But whenever he was talking just casually, he'd be like, try some of my Frankenberry cereal. <laughs> <laughs> it's got the taste of real strawberry. Uh, he's just such a cool guy. Him, the, the, all, those are my great, my great, I'm a great fan of, of Karloff and Vincent Price mm-hmm. and, and all of those guys. You think what what price would have been if he could have got away from American International? You know? <laughs> well, I'm glad he didn't because a lot of his best stuff was... Yeah, he did, all those po- he did all those Poe movies with Corman and... Fall of the House of Usher oh, and all yeah. that. Yeah, Tomb of Ligia, all that great stuff. Yeah, it was yeah. all... And it was all internal kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. He was always falling... He's going nuts. Last Man on Earth. Oh, that one was fantastic. That's still, I think, the best adaptation of um, I Am Legend. Yeah. And it's better than Omega Man, which I like to an extent, and I think it's a lot better than the Will Smith version, personally. But, uh, yeah, it's it's Vincent Price. You can't top that. We've, let, we've left uh, I'm sorry, part too. of our group behind <laughs> here. All right, got to get to the break. I, I just made some new coffee. I'm going to go get some, and then we'll join you on the other side of the news here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. Tim Lemons here. Mark Pellegrini is here, and uh, we're sitting here just kind of carrying on a conversation on wherever we happen to to end up at. I've got a story coming up that I want to talk to you guys about, but first, bring us up to date what's going on with you all about uh, the comics that you guys are doing, and you're going to be doing another comic, I guess. You said that you made your money on that you needed. Yeah, we never stop making comics. We're always making comics. All right. But the one that we just finished was Black Ops 2, and it's in the crowdfunding process right now. But last night, we actually hit our goal. So we needed 8500 and we crossed it last night Good. While, while we were doing a stream with the Needle Mover Society. They're these comic book guys on YouTube. So if you're listening out there uh, and want a good channel to check out, it's just a bunch of guys talking shop, all fans. Like uh, it's it, They make their own comics, too. But it's just fan talk, you know. Okay, so it's kind of like what Kevin Smith was trying to do on TV, right? But, yeah. but a lot funnier and not as yeah, foul. I was going to say it's not not as bad, right? As so if they're if they're listening right now, and I know sometimes on Twitter we have listeners who join in, but the Needle Mirror Society they really helped us over the goal, and so we hit that last night. We're still in the funding process, so what we're trying to get right now is if we can generate about five k more, then we'll square bind our books. But if you're interested. Go to Indiegogo right now. Look at Black Hops. That's H-O-P-S. And you'll find our project there. It's open for another 18 days. And then after the 18 days, it'll probably be open for 14 more days as a store. So you can um, get on the campaign if you missed it. Okay. Yeah. So you're doing big things for everybody. Yep. And um, a trade paperback of Black Hops 1 is available at checkout when you go to Indiegogo to purchase Black Hops 2. Just in case you missed Black Hops 1, it is available there as well. Cool. This is good. Yeah, we're, we don't stop. Like, as soon as, so I, I'm wrapping up post-production on this book, and we're getting the script ready for our next book coming out next year. So we have three books coming out next year, including the sequel to Black Ops, and we have another Trump book coming out. It's our it's Walmart 3, which is going to be our third, actually, our, what, our fourth Trump book, <laughs> yeah. uh, just in time for the election. So, yeah, we don't quit. And we're amateurs. Like, Mark and I have only been doing this for a year and we've been putting out, like, I literally will do a page a day until, like, a book is finished. Wow. 
And uh, we know a That's couple. That's better than some people I know. Here's the funny thing: we know some pros in the industry, <laughs> and we were talking about this last night. Um, there's an inverse correlation between how long someone's been in the industry and how professional they are, and how slow they are. I don't know why that is, but we we know at least four professionals, and they're all late under crowdfunding, like really late. And then Mark and I were like. It's just two guys, and we've been doing this for a year, and we figured out printing, fulfillment, logistics, pay, budget. I mean, I I don't know. I really don't. Well, it's like uh, Rocky Three in the Eye of the Tiger. The uh, the new guys are hungry. They got the Eye of the Tiger. The, okay. Uh, the old pros, though, they've lost it, and so yeah, they're they're not hungry anymore. There's uh, only one pro who we know that is so consistent. It's incredible. It's the guy that you had on your show a month ago, Doug Tenable, the mm-hmm. guy who created Earthworm Jim. Yeah. Every time he's what a ran great a campaign, interview. he's been early. So, you know, he'll promise, oh, well, I'm going to ship it in July. By June, it's already going out. And he is a workhorse. I mean, I think he works faster than me. I do a page a day. He does two pages a day. Wow. That's not easy. It's not. But he's been in Explain the industry Explain what for it's years. like. It's hard. I mean, like, I wake up at 9. I have a coffee and a banana. That's my breakfast. And I'll typically have lunch around 1 o'clock. But I won't stop. I'll work about eight hours a day just drawing. And that's penciling, inking. And then once that's done, I put that to the side, start the next page the next day. And so if I have a 40-page book, that's 40 days. That's, you know, every single day working at it. Okay. And then Mark is writing dialogue, correct? Right. Yeah. I wake up at uh, at 6.30 in the morning, and I spend my the first hour of every day writing. And then I go to my day job, and then I get home at 6.30 in the evening, and then I spend my evening writing. And then I do that five days a week, and then on the weekends, I spend all day writing. So, yeah, because there's not just scripts for the comics that I'm working with Tim, but there's also the I'm finishing up a book that I'm writing. I've got a short story I'm going to submit for publication later. So it's just spend every free moment I've got writing. So <laughs> A lot of people don't realize the kind of talent that we have here in central Arkansas, especially <laughs> dealing with this particular genre of, of uh, printing. And it's not even our full-time work i mean it kind of is mine right now because i'm on sabbatical but well after you make your first million you'll be giving up that other <laughs> yeah, job yeah. right I, I'm, I don't think i'll ever give up my licensure it's a great job i love my field but it's this idea that we're kind of doing this with one hand tied behind our back like we've never done this before yeah. so we're just happy that we're able to produce books and since so since the election and since october of 2017 we've put out i think a combined total of seven books and we know people in the industry who have been working on the same book for a year and haven't put anything out. I don't get it. I mean, I honestly don't know what's going on. I think those are people that don't – when they. I mean, when you write something, I've got to think that you have to know where you're going to start and where you're going to end at, you know, and then – so when, So Tim and I plot everything out meticulously before – I write the script, and then obviously before he starts drawing. So we both come up with the plots, we come up with the character arcs, and then I do page breakdowns after we write out a, a detailed summary of each issue, and we determine how many pages it's going to be, if it's going to be like a 48-page or a 60-page. Once we figure that out, then I do page breakdowns where I say, this is what happens on page one, this is what happens on page two, etc. This is how many panels page five will be. And that's before the scripting process. And then Tim goes over that again, and then... He says, uh, "Move this here, change this, or let's let's uh, trim these pages, or let's condense that." And then, then once that's agreed upon, and we know what's going to be in every page, then I write the script, and there's no surprises. And then he can just take that script without with only minor draft revisions, maybe, 
and then he can just start drawing and it's agreed upon and ready to go. And so we've got a system that works very swiftly because we collaborate every step of the way. So when did you start writing like this, Mark? I mean, seriously. Uh, like this? Well, I mean, I've been writing for over 10 years. I mean, my first professional writing gig was in 2007, but that was writing for, like, Internet websites and blogs. Um, and then I started, you know, my own websites, and I was writing on them. But writing like anything else is something you've got to do every day if you want to get better at it. And so I would do, like, review websites for comics and movies. Um, but also, honestly, doing reviews helps you a lot, not just in terms of writing, but in watching something or reading something and dissecting it to find out what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, and then articulating why you didn't like it or why you liked it, and then figuring out if you liked it, how they made that, how they formatted it, how they structured that narrative so that you understood you know, the positives of it. Or if it was bad, you can diagnose it to figure out what the problem was so you don't fall into that trap yourself and do that for long enough that you have a, a better understanding of the, uh, the storytelling process and then from there, I wrote my first published book was with Tim. It was uh, Thump the First Bundred Days. Um, my first published novel uh, came out the same year and then started doing comics. Um, I actually, uh, the first comics I did are going to be published later this year. It was on a project that was taking a long time because it was a, it's a Ninja Turtle uh, tribute book that's actually being drawn by um, Jim Lawson and Dan Berger and these professionals who work for Mirage Studios in the 80s are doing this tribute book. And I got to write two of the comics in it. Um, it was just taking a long time. But those are the first scripts I wrote. And then I started writing comic scripts with Tim. And we put out uh, My Hero Magademia and then Black Ops Volume 1 and then Walmite 2. And then I did script punch-ups on uh, Space Trump or Trump Space Force and then now Black Ops. And then, yeah. So every and every time we do something, I learn more. So like working on Hair Trigger, uh, Black Ops 2, uh, we have a professional letterer, um, Bill Williams, with us. And he's been giving us a lot of feedback because previously Tim always did the lettering. Um, but Bill is giving us some great feedback on basically uh, how to be more concise in my dialogue. Um, he's One of the recommendations he gave us was that uh, 25 words per speech balloon. Um, he said that's kind of the industry standard. If you put more than that in there, then your speech balloon gets too big and it blocks out the art and you're just um, putting words, 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 words into your visual medium, which doesn't help. So that got me thinking. Now I'm trimming my dialogue more and I'm getting more to the point, 25 words per balloon or thereabouts, so that I don't um, get redundant and repeat myself too much or simply just uh, say things that don't accomplish anything. They're just – it's – Brian Michael Bendis style dialogue where it's it's just uh, quippy patter back and forth that doesn't accomplish anything or move the narrative forward. All right, so Tim, you're doing the art mm -hmm. that's there. Now, a lot if he's only got 25 words, there's a lot of space in there, so to speak, for you to tell the rest of the story just in the art. Is that right. correct? Uh, yeah, and there's actually not that much space. I mean, the reason why is because when you look at a comic book page, it's actually pretty small. You're looking at about six and a half by ten and a half inches, and if it's broken down in roughly five panels, that means that if you have a very wordy balloon, you have to keep the art really small in order for that balloon to fit in there. So what we're doing right now is we're in the post-production, and Bill and I, were doing the lettering, and he'd look at Mark's script and say, well, the script is good, but you, don't, you can't actually conceive of it until you actually put it on the page and then realize, oh, my gosh, like that balloon is going to be so big that it's going to, you know, interfere with everything so what he's doing is it's actually that's the miracle of twitter like if you're on twitter i think twitter actually 
teaches people. It forces to have, you. <laughs> it forces you to to be very not quick witted, but it it forces you to be concise mm-hmm. because you're given like what 125 characters, I think, which means that if you're trying to word something and it's not letting you go beyond that point, you have to try and get that message down. And so one of the rule, one of the tips that he gave me was rule of thumb: word balloon, make it 25 words. Assume there's only going to be three balloons per panel. And that gives you kind of a good mental frame in terms of how much dialogue is going to be on there. And the interesting thing is this. The one – so on Black Ops 2, I have an, another artist who's doing half of the book, and that's um, uh, uh, Matt Weldon. And I can tell that Matt looked at Mark's script and actually – because he's more professional than I am. He's been drawing for years. So his, his pages, we've had no trouble doing word balloons for because in his mind he can see it. He can actually see like, okay – I know that this is kind of lengthy, so I need to make everything go over here. So I'm learning through kind of that process of seeing how he does it and seeing how, like, the pros actually put these things together. So do you use I, – I don't know whether it was DC or Marvel who tried started it first, but the double truck where you run into the gutter and then you come over onto the other page too and they have these big, you know, middle parts of the comic that had all the artwork in it. Of the action two, going the two page on. spread, you mean? Yeah. Like when you open it up and it's um, a big, long landscape image on two pages? Yeah. Um, we don't have any uh, double page spreads. We have do one. We, we have, we yeah. have one. It's, an, it's directly in the middle of the book. That's right. Yeah. And it's a vertical one. Yeah. It's a pinup. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like you hold it the other way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I'm just saying, uh, I, I got to think there's very, usually very little dialogue and it's all action wrapped around well, what little dialogue there is. So there's things called splash pages. A splash page in a comic is a page that's only one panel, one single image. And then there's the two-page spread, like you said, which is you know where the art spills over from one page to the next, and it's basically um, a landscape-style pinup. Now, if you're gonna do like if you're gonna do something like that, you just have to consider your real estate, how many pages you have to work with. And if you have to tell a story, the modern modern monthly comics now are only 20 pages long, which is not a lot. And so if you only have wow. 20 pages to tell a story and you're going to dedicate one of those pages to a splash page or two of those pages to a spread where you can only have – it's only one panel essentially. And so you can't have the story progress more than one panel in that, in that page or two pages – then you've really got to be good at pacing your story and make sure that the other 19 pages are moving the story along or else no one's going to get their their $4 for 20 pages, you know, in terms of story if you do it that way. It's really interesting to sit down and talk with you guys, <laughs> you know, about this stuff. I mean, there's a lot that goes in to this. People think it's kid stuff, and it's not kid stuff. It's grueling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's work. That's why a lot of my friends who, they got really big into comics, eventually they moved on to do not lighter work, but it's lighter for the pay that they get. I mean, we have one friend in particular, he was working for DC, and now he does um, concept art for, like, I think it's ABC, so a lot of reality television. He'll do a lot of their um, layouts and design for, you know, sets and things like that. And so it's a lot less stressful, and he's getting paid more. And I can see why, because, for example, when I'm doing a comic page, I'm sitting there for eight hours a day, hunched over, looking at a screen and drawing, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I need some sunlight. I need, my back is killing me. I need to get yeah. out and walk. So I have to keep up with my health. And, you know, we were talking earlier about, like, my twitchy eye going on mm-hmm. right now, and uh, it's because I've literally been staring at a screen for about four months straight, you know, uh, occasionally get up and do something else. But for the most part, it's just that grindstone that you're going at. 
All right, 21 minutes after 4. We'll talk more about this. Got some information for you about uh, South Park. Mm. Some big oh. news about South Park. We'll talk about that when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So, Tim, last question about this whole uh, job of putting together uh, a comic book. What is the difference between a comic book and, you know, these graphic novels? So there's a lot of terminology that distinguishes them. I mean, a comic book is traditionally 22, 24 pages. It's supposed to be, like, part of a sequence, so you're supposed to get multiple comics in order to make the story. A trade paperback is a trade paperback is probably the most defined uh, of, of them all because it could either mean a graphic novel or comic books collected and a graphic novel is the idea that it's it's lengthier than a comic and it's it should stand alone as a single volume so mark and i i guess technically we we work on graphic novels because they are typically larger than 40 pages and they're self-contained you don't have to get another volume to necessarily complete complete the story if you don't want to it can stand alone on its own trade paperback is like issues one through six of a series a graphic novel is just that one story that was published by itself so it's not a collection of several smaller parts it's um independent of itself and but the terms are used so interchangeably like people will refer to uh the dark knight returns for example as a graphic novel it was what a four issue miniseries Mm -hmm. So it's technically a trade paperback, but nobody reads it that way anymore. Everybody reads it in the collected edition, so it's com- commonly referred to as a graphic novel. They yeah, look, I'm old anymore. enough that I remember <laughs> when comics came out as paperback books at times. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd sit down and I'd devour that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want it more than just a typical comic book. Give me more. Mm-hmm. And then the real big ones that they came out with, I, <laughs> I got. I still have. I forget what the issue is, a Doc Strange one. It wouldn't get anything, fetch anything money-wise because it's pretty well torn up. It's gone through the grinder getting to me, but I I love it. Yeah, that means it was good because you actually sat down and read it. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. I mean, it's it's fun. I'm a big Doc uh, Strange fan, so I'm looking forward to I guess it's going to be 2021 now when Strange is coming back to the big screen again. So. Mm I'll be looking forward to that. I don't know why it's going to take so long, but it is. Who they am a, I to They have a lot of things that are, that are on their slate of things to work well, on. Oh, yeah. They got to get, you know, they got to get all the bisexuals and <laughs> all the other people into the, <laughs> they gotta get the every, comics. Every every alpha, every letter of the alphabet, they got to yeah, get the, the alphabet. The Eternals yeah. looks like, you know, it's going to be the first one. going to have the first openly gay character in Who it. Who cares? So. Yeah, I don't. I really don't. I know. But they're going to write it, and it, they're going to write it in such a way that it's going to it's going to be like somebody is in the screen. They're going to r- r- put their hand out of the screen and slap you upside the head and say, See? <laughs> they're gay. Well, the, the character might as well have like a big button on their shirt that just says, by the way, I'm gay, because that's their whole personality. If you define someone's personality and as gay. And that's the way they always <laughs> said they never wanted right? to be def- defined. I just don't get it. Anyway, Comedy Central has announced that the cartoon show South Park is not going anywhere as the uh, 23rd season is set to kick off September 25th and has been renewed through 20. 20- 22. Well, that's not surprising. They always renew it. 
In this day and age, it is more of an achievement than it was before the fact that we are still going, said Trey Parker, to the uh, Hollywood Reporter in a uh, piece that was published yesterday. As the cartoon duo of Parker and Stone noted how cancel culture is really getting on their nerves. It's new, Stone shared. I don't want to say it's the same it's always been. The kids are effing different than us. There's a generational thing going on. I know some people have been canceled for genuinely like personal behavior, but Dave Chappelle? He's not getting canceled anytime soon. Before explaining why he thinks critics were so hard on the comedian, he went on to say, though, I feel bad for television critics and cultural critics They may have laughed like hell at that, and then they went home, and they know what they have to write to keep their job. We'll talk more about this after the news, which is coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, we're back. Uh, We're talking about, who was speaking here? I got to get back here. Is it Matt Stone? It's Matt Stone. He's talking about the Dave Chappelle special. Uh, that's on Netflix right now. He says, I know some people have been canceled for genuinely, genuinely like personal behavior, but Dave Chappelle is not getting canceled anytime soon. Uh, he goes on then to talk about the Netflix special Sticks and Stones. Stone says, I feel bad for television critics and cultural crit- critics. They may have laughed uh, like uh, all eight, what he double hockey sticks? All right, at at that, and then they went home and they know what they have to write to keep their job. So when I read TV reviews or cultural reviews, I think of someone who's in prison writing. Uh, said Stone. I think about somebody writing a hostage note. This is not what they think. This is what they have to do to keep their job in a social media world so i don't hold it against them i mean stone's like saying it's like the guys that were made to sit in front of the camera and say bad things about their country in vietnam after they've been captured right and they're like blinking their eyes and stuff (laughs) in morris code you know well he's absolutely right and it basically puts into question all the scores on rotten tomatoes like if all these these professional critics aren't saying what they actually think. They're saying what will get them the most brownie points or will get the promotion at their job or to keep their job. Then what's the point of Rotten Tomatoes if none of those uh, reviews and those criticisms are accurate or honest? Then that that score means nothing. That's right. Maybe people should just start going to see the movies and coming up with their it own It might be a good on. idea. <laughs> it really might be. I mean, I think Rotten Tomatoes has gotten way bigger than it was ever meant to be. Oh, yeah. The way they do it now. And after the whole Captain Marvel thing where, you know, Disney complained to Rotten Tomatoes and suddenly that score changed overnight, <laughs> you know, you really can't trust what they say anymore. Well, it was like the Joker, you know, that's coming out with Joaquin Phoenix. It had like almost a 100% score. And I think the last time I looked at it now, it's in the 70s. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of green splats <laughs> in there now. Well, there's right. always that dilemma that I think these any it doesn't matter what business you're in, you're always going to have that dilemma between principle and profit. Do you actually say what you mean because it's the right thing to do 
Or are you just saying something because you're shilling, because someone's offered you a really big pay raise or a potential for exposure? I mean, Mark and I have kind of gone through it ourselves. We told you, I think on the last show, there are people even on our side of the aisle, like uh, on the right, and they hate our Trump books. They they hate anything that we do having to do with the Why? president. They hate them because, one, I think it's because they didn't think about it. And two, I don't know why, but I think it's because they personally think it's cringy. Like, they think, oh, my gosh, like, that's so corny. Don't do that type of thing. That's not, like, that's not how you win the culture war. So it might be because of, of a personal preference. But we noticed that the, some of these people have a lot of influence. And because some people want that influence, they do things like they'll ignore us or they'll go against us because they're trying to saddle up to the, the big guy, you know, the guy who has more more say than we do. Mm-hmm. And we can tell, like, it's very obvious, but it's like, hey, I saw that you were, like, a critic, so you're ignoring us, and are you doing this because, again, is it because of the principle or is it the profit that you're trying to saddle up I to mean, someone? I mean, it's kind of obvious to us because these people, when uh, My Hero Magademia number 1 came out, they bought the book, they promoted us, they reviewed the book, they liked the book. Um, and then a year later, after they've found out who they need to saddle up with to uh, increase their numbers and their viewership, suddenly they're not talking down at us, but they aren't reviewing our books and they aren't promoting us anymore because the people who don't like us are the ones who can affect their numbers. So but, it goes yeah. both ways, not just a left-right issue. It's on both, but I think it's more prominent on the left because the left right now controls big corporations. And so if you're a movie Man, critic, if you're in Disney, yep. you control a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if people have seen. There's several infographics online where they show you just how much media they control. I mean, it's, it's an insane amount of power that they have. And so as a movie critic, if you're honest, you know, you have to sometimes buck the trend. And you got to do what you were paid to do, which is give an honest criticism. But the allure of money and profit and being like, hey, you know, you give us a good review, we'll fly out to L.A., get you in on the screening, and it'll be great. Because yeah. if you think about it, movie makes $60 million. How much does it cost potentially to fly this one guy out? Maybe a 1000 bucks. Mm-hmm. Fly him out, put him in, put in a fancy hotel, get him some cheese, wine, crackers, and caviar. Maybe get him a photo with a celebrity, which is free. It's a small price to pay, but it's a big price for the person who – has to give up their principal, you know, to get that mm-hmm. that cheddar. Yeah, but it's hard once you go out and you taste that. You it's hard to it, go yeah. back home, right? Well, and you want to go back out there again. So yeah. when I used to review comics um, for a website, I, I won't say the name of the website, but uh, we would review like uh, Marvel comics and IDW comics and DC comics, and you got advanced review copies so that you could have your review mm-hmm. out on Wednesday morning ready to go. So you got it on like a Monday and then it came in like an electronic ebook format or a PDF or whatever. Well, if you gave too many negative reviews, suddenly Marvel stopped giving you those advanced yep. PDFs. Suddenly IDW stopped giving you those advanced PDFs. Uh, or if um, you gave negative reviews that uh, were too mean or you gave positive reviews that weren't positive enough and so suddenly you know we kind of learned that oh if we want to keep getting all these free comics and getting them before everybody so we can get a jump on the competition everybody we did to, great superlative you know, work or you know it's like so I, there's this, this joke that IGN who re, the website that reviews video games will say this game was absolute garbage it was trash you know it didn't even work 8 out of 10 
<laughs> you know, because people will scroll down and only read the number. And the, right, uh, the Metacritic, you know, websites, the review aggregator websites, they don't aggregate the text. They aggregate the number. And so if you give it an 8 out of 10, it doesn't affect its aggregate score. So, yeah, it, a lot of these review sites, and I know from having to write for one, are that, like, well, you can say how you feel, but suddenly you're not going to be getting all that free stuff anymore. Okay, so, yeah. so let me ask you both. What are some of the uh, sites that you go to for your go-to information? I Like, every day I read Bloody Disgusting for right. horror. Because mm-hmm. I like horror. I'm a big horror fan. The other day they had a really great article in it. Now, I'm old enough that you probably figured this out. But they had the greatest uh, Abbott and Costello Universal... Um, movies mm. that they did. And of course, Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein was number one, but then they went through several that I had forgotten they had even made. Oh, yeah. Like was meet really meet the stuff. Mummy, Meet the Invisible Man, yeah. Meet uh, Boris Karloff the Killer. Yeah. Some good stuff in there that those guys did. I mean, yeah. The Mummy was probably, I think, their, the second best movie mm. they oh, yeah. made. It was really, really well done. But uh, what are some of the sites that you go to? Well, for me, honestly, so even Bloody Disgusting, I stopped going to them because I think they did a, a article that was it's like an editorial about how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is misogynistic. And I was like, I don't go to Bloody Disgusting for that kind of well, stuff. Well, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, I mean. I'll, it was bloody and disgusting. Yeah. And that's why I want to go see the movie. But, you know, yeah, have, a lot of men died in that movie, too. And it's yeah. misogynistic. You know, the only survivor was the woman. But OK, whatever. But, you know, even blood, sites like Bloody Disgusting that used to be my, my go to for horror news. They got infected by that kind of media as well. So honestly, I don't I don't go to sites for that. I just know people in my circle for word of mouth who see the same kind of movies I do, and we don't always agree on, on it, but I can get their honest feedback. And then usually if I want to have an opinion on something, I see it myself. If I'm interested enough in something, I'll go see it. If I'm not interested in it at all, I'll usually know from a sniff test that it's not my kind of thing. But... From websites, though, like we, like so many of them are compromised. I, I just don't trust any of them. The one that I think is most compromised yeah. is, uh, what was it, uh, Ain't It Cool News. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. A long time ago. Henry Knowles. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, Harry Knowles sold out. And, Harry, and, yeah. and, and it was one of those things where it was you could tell it was pay for play because it was like, I think the, what was the big one that everyone got him on? I think they zinged him really hard on Godzilla, like the Matthew Broderick one. <laughs> where it was basically like night and day before he went before he got a tour of like where they were filming or whatever he was basically planning like a negative reaction and mm-hmm. then you know after the tour and after whatever all that's happened and it was positive it had matthew broderick in. <laughs> that's all i gotta say the one i can recommend to your listeners and i don't always agree with him but i love his take it's Stephen Gridonis, and his website is decentfilms.com. Decent Films, okay. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good. So not only are his editorials really eloquent, so he will dissect a movie and he'll kind of tell you, and he's, he's very well-read, well-spoken. He'll tell you exactly why he liked the movie. Um, he'll tell you why it was good or bad. But what I like about it is he gives you two ratings. He gives you a rating for overall quality, and he gives you a rating for moral and spiritual value. So he basically can say, like, you can have an entertaining movie, but it, not, it might not be morally fulfilling. You know, it could have like, you know, uh, gratuitousness and violence and things like that in it. In which case, he would give it a lower rating. So he actually has a, a dual. He has like basically a triple scale. The editorial is one scale. The scale on 
overall entertainment and the scale on like how you feel about the movie. Mm-hmm. So that's what I like. Is you you feel like you get a pretty good range. Yeah. See, my whole thing is I go to a movie to be entertained. You know, if yeah. I go in and I feel like I didn't have two hours of my life just sucked out of my soul and it wasn't worth my time at all, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. that I didn't laugh, I didn't, you know, get mm-hmm. into the movie or whatever, then why did I go to the movie? That's the way I judge yeah. a movie, There's, how good they are and how bad they are. There are, are people are. who judge movies on, well, was it intellectually, you know, and philosophically stimulating? Yep. Like, does it belong <laughs> in the Criterion collection? You know, they, yeah. they, they, that's how they review their movies. They don't, like, well... Did it make you laugh? Did it make you cry? Did it get your blood pumping? I mean, did you enjoy it? Did you have it? fun? Like, but what does yeah. it say about society? So, Tim, you've got a story about a friend of yours who went to go see X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Don't you know, so he, he's, been, he's not going to care if I uh, tell him, <laughs> because he'll probably be on a, a guest on the show next week. But our agent, he's a really good friend of mine, and he's the funniest guy because so – he, I don't think he ever looks at movies or entertainment with any philosophical lens. He judges movies solely based on, did it make me laugh and was I entertained? He's like the only person I know who saw X-Men 3, The Last Stand, and liked it. And okay. I, I just remember, he'll still defend it to this day. He'll be like, that movie was great. You had the juggernaut. You had Kitty Pride. I mean, you had all these X-Men doing things that you want X-Men to do. Like, what do you not like about it? And I'm like, the plot? It was a terrible movie. He's like... You're looking too deep into this. Yeah, like, who cares about it. the plot, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why I feel sometimes. I mean, and sometimes I feel like, so when I, in 2007, when I worked for a website that doesn't exist anymore, reviewing movies, I would find that when I wrote my review, as soon as I got out of the movie, as soon as I got home mm-hmm. and sat down, I would write a glowing review because my blood would still be pumping from the climax and that I'd post my review. And then like two days later, I'd be thinking about the movie a bit more analytically you know, after that, that afterglow had worn off. And like, oh, that part of the plot didn't hold up very well. Oh, I forgot about that line from Act 2 that was really dumb. Or, and like, oh, maybe, you know, I kind of over uh, overestimated that movie or, or gave it too good of a review. But, you know, was my first review wrong? I left the theater enjoying the movie and happy with it. And it wasn't until I thought about it more and more and more that I started poking holes in it. Um, is that the more correct review? i you know, it really depends. If you walk out of a movie and you were satisfied with it, then you got your money's worth. If you didn't start, uh, like, chinking away at, at its armor until, like, two days afterward, then maybe that was a still a good movie. Here, I, we'll give you a good example. We were talking during the break. I'm excited because next Thursday, Stallone is out uh-huh. as Rambo again. Mm-hmm. And it's called Last Blood. It's supposed to be the last one. I don't know if it'll be the last <laughs> one or not. He says it's the last one. I know that uh, the, this last one for Rocky is going to be the last one that he'll be in. Oh, Creed three. Yeah, Creed three. So I'm sitting there uh, thinking about that, and when I go see that movie, I expect action, and I expect death. All right, and it's going to be a revenge movie, and I'm going to be cheering Rambo. Okay, so the bottom line is, if it does those things, I'm going to be very, very happy with this movie. <laughs> I know. That's why I like The Expendables. Yeah, like, same it, thing. It, it's not deep storytelling. No. I mean, not looking for deep storytelling. It, I want something to eat popcorn to and drink my Diet Coke. And that's actually my complaint with the last Rambo movie, just called John Rambo. It was almost too philosophical. None of the action happened until the last like 30 minutes of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that Stallone, 
is a very shrewd filmmaker. He knows what his audience wants, and I'm hoping that he learned from that last movie because that trailer is just nothing but action. <laughs> oh, it looks awesome. So, I didn't see Rambo 3 until about like four or five years ago. I, I borrowed it from Tim. And I had never watched Rambo 3 because I'd always heard it was the bad Rambo movie. <laughs> so great. You know? And I was like, oh, it's, everyone says it's so dumb that, that it's just him blowing up dudes in Afghanistan. And it's Tim fun was like, movie, but that's man. why it's good, Mark. Borrow my DVD. And I sat down and I watched it. And I thought it was great. It has that weird, um, like, uh, in, in loving memory of the Taliban. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That did, did, not, did not withstand the test of time. Um, but the movie itself is just Rambo in Afghanistan killing dudes. And it's great. So. You know, sometimes, you know, you, you misjudge a movie by reputation, but you sit down and you watch it and it's is, is the last one that you're talking about, yeah, I know i got to get a break in. I'm being told. Uh, is that the one where he's on the 50 cal at the end? Yes. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> the ending of Rambo 4 is actually entertaining. It's just all the, the stuff getting All the crap there, getting really there. Yeah, boring. but I'm just telling you, that very ending, that was, yeah. that was just awesome the yeah. way he chewed up people. And that's exactly what a 50 cal does to people, to be honest with you. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll speak a little bit more about, you know, Rambo and some other movies. Uh, things that you expect from them, and, and if they're not there, you're going to be disappointed in the movie. All right? We'll talk more when we come back. Okay, so I'm going to tell you to go see something, even before it comes out. Because mm -hmm. I've read all the books by Chuck Dixon. And he's done this series, I think it's five books, about Levon. Uh, Levon Cade was his name. Says he left his profession behind to work construction and be a good dad to his daughter. But when a local girl vanishes, he's asked to return to skills that made him a mythic figure in the shadowy world of counterterrorism. The book is awesome. It is really, really all of them. So are it sounds awesome. like it's in the vein of like uh, Taken or uh, John Wick. John Wick, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, there's one that's really good that uh, they're looking for this money. And it, it's... Levant's Gold? Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that is just an awesome, awesome book. Chuck Dixon is so good. I love what he how he writes. I really do. Well, he's um he holds the Guinness record as the most prolific yes. comic author. He's written more issues of comics than anybody else in the world. I was really surprised when he, he went back to write new comics. Because he was he was really sour on him. Yeah, I think that's just his passion. I think that he I don't I don't think he ever really left, but um, he, there's been kind of a resurgence in terms of kind of the the veterans coming back into the industry and working on things. Like, yeah. I, have you ever read anything by Mike Barron? <laughs> no. He he used to write for The Punisher. No. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. That's all you had to say. Yeah, <laughs> and he worked on an independent comic called Badger, and he is hysterical. If you like Chuck Dixon. Mike Barron is basically like the edgy Chuck Dixon. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he had a great run on The Flash. Chuck is a... pretty edgy, to be honest. Well, Chuck is more like a pulp writer. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Like yeah, in terms of how his, his storytelling. Like Conan stuff. Like Conan mm -hmm. stuff. Mike Barron is more of a, um, almost like a grindhouse type. Yeah. No. Yeah. Good. He puts a lot of humor into it. Even when he does stuff that isn't, as far from the Punisher as you can get is The Flash. And the, the first Mike Barron comics I read were, was his run on The Flash with uh, Butch Geis, and, which was the, the series that came after Crisis on Infinite Earths, if any nerds are listening. It was the Wally West series of The Flash comics. And, but he still had his, his sense of humor in it because Wally was, a, was the jerk Flash who charged people money. 
you know, when he, he would uh, run cross country, but he would burn all of his calories, so he'd have to fly back home. And he, so he would charge people for his plane ticket to fly back home. And people thought that was weird. Like, well, the old Flash didn't charge money to save people's lives. Like, yeah, well, he's dead. <laughs> so, right. but yeah, my, Mike, uh, Mike Barron's great. All right. So when you see this uh, new series, a new movie called Leave On, and uh, Chuck Dixon is the writer of it. I don't think that they've got a. It says, or you just said they were in post production. No, I think they're in pre production. Oh, they're in yeah. pre production. That's what it said on IMDb. So I can't get anything about do they have a director that's with the movie? Have they cast yeah. anybody? There's going to have to be a kind of a special person that picks up this part. This guy is uh, he's a backwoods guy. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see who they pick for that part. We'll get him on, you know, since I'm hosting next week. I might have to give him a call. Let's see if we can get Chuck on the show. And That'd be fun. To have him spill some beans. Yeah, he us. needs to tell us something because Stallone's involved in this. Mm-hmm. So that'd be, that'd be, it's not going to be Stallone. He's not going to play v- Levon. He's too old to play the part, just to, so you'll know. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, uh, I'll ask you about some stuff that's going on on uh Amazon and Netflix and what you think about it when we return on the Dave Ellswick show. All right, back last hour on a Friday. Uh, Tim Lim is here. He'll be filling in for me next Friday because I am going to take at least one day of my vacation. <laughs> I got to I got to do that. Uh, bring you up to date. Linda's at home. She's got her her uh, got her leg up, all right, because she's not supposed to be walking around on it. She broke her ankle yesterday. She fell off her the lawnmower, and when she fell, somehow she got her foot hooked on it and uh, kind of just shattered it. Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to go see uh, an orthopedist on Monday, and. Uh, there's going to I I'm believing there's going to be some surgery involved. Uh I mean if if he would tell me Monday we can before we do the uh surgery we can put it in a uh, you know a hard cast and and she can walk on it then you know we'd probably go on vacation. Woo-hoo. I don't think that's going to be able to be done though. Didn't you say your mother just went through? Mhm. Mother, this, same, she, same thing. Was she, she able ankle. able to walk on it before? Took it, some months to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think from the time she hurt herself to the time surgery was done, it was about a week and a half. They had her in kind of this um, boot type thing uh, just to keep it kind of stable. Could she walk on it? No, it, was, it hurt. It hurt a lot. Um, she had kind of a, a walker to help her get around. So uh, it wasn't fun. And, you know, it was funny because – Honestly, we've been pretty healthy. No one in my family has had any broken bones or anything like that. And I think we were really shocked at how long it actually takes for the recovery process. It takes yeah. about three months, I think. Yeah, that's what I've been reading. Yeah. Same thing, what, you, what you're saying. So we're going to go see Dr. Adams is the name of the orthopedist. He's with Ortho, Arkansas. I've had nothing but good results with Ortho, Arkansas. I'm the person in my family that's been put together more than the six million dollar man to be honest with you i had both my shoulders completely rebuilt uh, had my gallbladder taken out had a five way done on my heart so yeah i've been i've been under the knife a few times so uh, uh the bionic ellswick yeah kind of <laughs> 
I just want to see. I, I I just want to see how she does. Um, if if he says they can't get her in for over a week to do the surgery, then I am going to ask if there a way that you can, you know, make sure that it's not going to move around and would it be worth us still doing our vacation? Right. Because if it, if it is, and uh, I'm going. I mean, here's the list. I got I got all the people that are filling in for me. It's all set up and. <laughs> And ready to go. And then Robert Steinbach, Dr. Tim Lim, Carl Kimball, David Lucas, John Payne, uh, Donnie Copeland, a lot of people. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to uh, go if uh, it's just it's going to be a, a big problem. I got, I got tissues here. Well, right. so anyway. we'll pray for you, Dave. Hopefully, yeah, it'd be ho- nice. If hopefully, it, it'd be nice if you could abscond for a little bit and get that vacation snuck in there yeah because i want to say that when my mom had it like i said i think it was a week and a half before she could actually go under the knife uh-huh. and in that period yeah i mean it was like swelling but we they did enough to control it to the point where she had a, a good degree of mobility going on well if, if that's the case then uh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna take linda to florida mm-hmm. and uh you know where i go I do. So you go there. I do. And then the uh, the other thing is that uh, afterwards, typically we just come on home, but I'm going to take a few more days. Linda has never been up to Gatlinsburg, mm-hmm. and I've been to the Smoky Mountains a bunch of times, and I love that area. Right. So we're gonna, I'm going to take her by. And mm-hmm. I'll probably forego Dollywood this time while she's, <laughs> while she's re- recovering. But uh, the place that we're going to stay as a double tree and if you get up high enough and i'm going to ask for a high room you can look over the smoky mountains it's just gorgeous so, all i know about double tree yeah. i've stayed there a couple of times i love their cookies oh yeah they those warm cookies <laughs> it's a good place it, it really is. is all right so now i asked these guys during the break about a show that was on um what was it? It's on Amazon. Amazon, and uh, they haven't watched it yet, so I won't ask you guys on the air because you haven't seen it yet. I think it's wild. Just it's it makes sense to have this show. The show is called The Boys, and it is not for kids. It is. I don't think it's for anybody under twenty one. To be honest, <laughs> uh, it is an adult show. Yeah, I will warn you about that. And the premise is you got all of these superheroes, like you go to see the Marvel superheroes or the DC superheroes, but what would they what would they really be like? Jerks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What would they what would they be like? Well, I've never read the comic it's based on. All I know is that it was written by Garth Ennis, and I've read lots of other comics that Garth Ennis has written, and so that Pretty much gives me yeah, the the idea that it's not for kids. It's not for anybody no. under 21. He writes some pretty extreme stuff. And, and it's pretty extreme on the show, to be honest with you. To, be, to, to complete disclosure, I haven't watched the whole episode eight yet. I had to stop. Linda does not like the show because it's... It's it, crass it, and violent. It, yeah, it is very... It's got crass parts, but it is violent as y'all get out. What show? The boys. Oh yes. Now I haven't. <laughs> oh, the boys. Oh, I haven't yeah. watched. I haven't. I've been. I've, I'm about a third of the way through episode eight, and I want to see how they wrap it up because they've already. They've. Did you know they've already given two more seasons? Well, I thought I knew about the season two. Season three already. Mm. It only makes sense. I mean, it's 
It's a good. It's a good show. I just want to see more of Homelander. Yeah, he can, he's a um. He's Superman. He's yeah. an, uh, he's a character, you know, and he's a great character. But you know, he's also an evil one. No, he's mm-hmm. evil. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. That one episode with the plane. That is about as evil as it comes. Goodness gracious. I'll tell you guys during the break. I don't want to say it on the air because it gives away stuff. I mean, it is one. It is a show as you watch it, if you're a big superhero fan, you're going to go, what? <laughs> well, to be honest, one of, one of our friends already spoiled the airplane scene. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I won't talk about it on the air. I'm just saying that was the the the... The epitome. Yeah, no redeeming value oh, to that yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, and and what's the girl's name that was hanging with him? I can't think of her name right now. Yeah, she's like the Amazonian warrior. Yeah, she's like Wonder Woman, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she likes to be tied up or not, but it's, everybody understands about the Wonder Woman thing, right? Yeah. The guy, yeah, the guy right. who did this, the the comic was in the bondage big yeah. time. That's why she had the rope of truth. Was it <laughs> William um, Marston? Marston, yeah, this guy who Holden did the, the the lie detector. Yes, he invented yep. the lie detector. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was into some kinky stuff. So Wonder Woman's original weakness was that if her hands were bound by a man, she lost all her powers. Yeah. So every every issue there was some um, bondage sequence, in. and this is like the 1940s we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's kind of kind of wild. Some of the background on that, but yeah, it, if you haven't seen the boys. Do not let your children be in the same room. Not at all. It is it is for adults. All right. It is for adults. And I know there's people who will tell me, well, David, then you don't need to really watch it if your kids can't sit down and watch it. That's not true. Because I'll sit down and watch Schindler's List and I won't <laughs> let my grandson sit and watch it right now. I mean, the opening scene blows your mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's it. Just like, whoa. Yeah. It's a, it's a good show. It really is. But the other thing that I'm talking about is that, and I just told Mark during the break that uh, my, you know, my my uh, my treat, uh, second Tuesday of October, and that is let me give you the exact day, I, so you'll have it because it'll be my classic movie for Halloween, and I'm going to show one that is from the the '60s. Yeah, early 70s, I guess it is. It's uh, October the 8th, and it's called I Spit <laughs> on Your Grave. Now, you may have seen the remake here a few years back. But no. Not even close to this the, the original. So I Spit on Your Grave is from that era of... Um, so the modern coinage for the genre is torture porn but that's more in line of uh the saw sequels or uh eli roth movies like hostile it's, but i spit on your grave was from the era of last house on the left and the texas chainsaw yes, Massacre. 1978 yeah. is when it came out directed uh by uh mir zarchi was the guy's <laughs> name the lead actress was camille keaton mm. she is from pine bluff that's where she was born oh, wow. and raised at uh, I've been trying to work with uh, a guy I know here, local, uh, to try to get a hold of her, because I'd love if she'd come to the showing. So I don't think people realize how much uh, horror talent actually came out of Arkansas, especially in that era. So she came from Pine Bluff, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, famous uh, movie critic for horror movies. He came from Little Rock. 
uh, Charles Pierce, the director of uh, Legend of Boggy Creek and The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Mm -hmm. also from Arkansas. Both those movies um, set in Arkansas and filmed in Arkansas. See, the the, uh, creature from the Black Lagoon, the lady that was in that was from Mm -hmm. uh, Hot Springs. Oh, really? Yeah, she just passed away. I uh, have been trying to get her on, but I understood that she was, you know, frail and Mm -hmm. and couldn't make the the train. It just... A lot of those are the people I want to talk to, you know, from classic, classic motion mm. pictures like that. Well, it's important to talk to them because, I, as you said, she passed away. And yeah. So, I mean, never going to get another now. chance. Yeah. yeah. Camille Keaton uh, is uh, was born in 1947 in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Mm. He's known for I Spit on Your Grave. I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu, which came out this year to video, direct to video, uh-huh. and Savage Vengeance from uh, 1993. She was previously married to the director, Mir, and to Sidney Luft, whoever that is. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to get uh-huh. And she is a, a like a great-great-granddaughter of so, Buster Keaton. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, so it's it's so movies from that era specifically that that very grimy, gritty, textured era of film in the seventies. Yeah, Grindhouse is kind of yeah the the overarching title people give to those movies, but they're the low budget nineteen seventies specifically movies that uh, make you feel oily when you watch them, like you need a shower after <laughs> yeah, you see them. It's true, and I think that's something that can't be recaptured. You know, there's movies like Saw and there's movies like Hostel that are made nowadays, and The Green Inferno. But in today's era of very of digital filmmaking and slick production, everything just it looks clean, and you can't without actual film, you know, without uh, celluloid, you can't capture that texture on film. Okay, and, now as a writer, you'll hmm. you'll you'll understand what I'm going to say here, and 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 I think you would too, Tim. Is that you watch those movies and the people talk like people? Yeah, they they're very they're very raw. They don't feel scripted, even if they are. They I mean, don't. think of Shaft. <laughs> yeah, same thing. You know, Bumpy in the, the movie Shaft, mm-hmm. the the blank the black gangster. You know, he just kind of mumbled his way through that that movie. Oh yeah, and but that's the way they that they wanted it well, to back be portrayed, then, especially in the seventies. There was a lot of uh, guerrilla filmmaking too. So like the car chase and the French Connection was all done without permits. They just put, strapped the cameras to the cars and and drove like maniacs <laughs> through the streets and just hoped that the cops didn't catch up with them. Yeah, and that lady, was just was the way that they lady did it back really then. in the. Did she really push that baby carriage <laughs> yeah, in front right? of him? Uh, yeah, only Gene Hackman knows, and he's gone. But now has Gene Hackman? No, no. he's still oh, Okay, well, yeah, he's uh, he's. <laughs> What's his name from, uh, uh, what was it, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, a big bulbous nose um, that uh, played in a lot of movies from Gary, Indiana, mm. a Polish actor. He, he, he's oh, I thought you were going to say Michael Jackson. No, not <laughs> Michael Jackson. No, he's, he's passed on. But, yeah, no, yeah. Gene is still around. He's painting. Oh, yeah, he's, he lives he's retired out, from film. He lives yeah, out there dead. somewhere in New Mexico. And, <laughs> With uh, Shirley MacLaine, I guess, and they're they're out painting <laughs> they're together. They're just being crazy together. Okay. I guess so. I guess so. But yeah, I I just uh, this movie, I I spit on your grave, uh, is one of those movies when you go see it, it it feels kind of like a documentary in pieces of it, mm-hmm. but it's really it's powerful for its time. It was 
powerful. Well, it's a satisfying movie for as as awful as the plot is, and then when I say awful, I mean awful in that it's a very sick kind of plot. It is but a revenge. It's a movie. movie that makes you very very angry at the antagonist, but then after the third act and the climax, it makes you very satisfied when you finally see what yes. happens to them. Last House on the Left was the same way. You know, where it's a movie where you hate these people so much for the awful things they're doing, and then it gives you that satisfaction at the end, you know, like Deliverance and like all these other movies that do that. But it's it's very good at at delivering that catharsis. You, Tim, you're not a real big horror fan, are you? No. <laughs> okay, I kind of figured that. I'm yeah, a very normie horror fan, as in like I've, I've seen what are considered to be like the seminal classics, but nothing, not ventured beyond that. So you've seen The Exorcist? I have. Okay. One, two, and three. <laughs> okay, well, two and three, forget it. I know. One. I've, I've seen Jaws one through four, too. Yeah. Well, Jaws one was really, Jaws one and two was and pretty two, good. And two, yeah. You know, but the one where he, he bit the, was it three that he bit the electrical cable? That was two. That was, was that two? two? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was all right. Where, where he gets like half his face burned off, but he still keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. he's Jason or something. <laughs> yeah, and those are other movies. I mean- I still to this day think that la- uh, not, uh, uh, was it Nightmare on Elm Street was great. The first Nightmare on Elm Street is just a legitimately good movie. Oh, it's and, awesome. I mean, people can say what they want about the sequels and the franchise, but if you go and you watch a Nightmare on Elm Street one, that's a good movie. Uh, it's and the same thing with like the first Halloween. You know, it got sequel fatigue, but the first Halloween's a fantastic film until just the last one. <laughs> until it finally found its footing again. <laughs> yeah, with the last one. And now yeah. we got two more coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the and, trilogy. And we've got everybody that we want to be mm-hmm. in it. Jamie Lee Curtis is coming back for the last two, which. Should, what well, they say is the last two, and the yeah. writers are the same, and the director is the same. Well, the nice thing about the Halloween series, and at least in the way that it's produced, is that the continuities for the Halloween movies are done in segments. So it's not this is like Halloween nine or ten that we're on, but it's not like chapter ten. So the first like six Halloween movies followed their own storyline, and then the Halloweens that came after that. H two O and Resurrection. That was a separate continuity. And then there's the Rob Zombie movies. That was a separate continuity. Now there's this one, which is a continuity that picks up from the first one. So you can watch them in segments in in isolated storylines. So you don't necessarily have to sit down and watch ten um, arguably bad movies in yeah. a row. <laughs> Let's come back and talk. And you just brought up a name I want to talk about when we return because he's got a new movie coming out here in next week. Three from Hell. We'll talk about uh-huh. it in just a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Come back. Back with you. Dave Ellswick Show. I don't, I'm trying to think. I, I don't want to get into all this other stuff except to talk about. I'm mentioning. I was telling uh, Mark an interview that I did when they had the horror co- convention here about, gosh, it has to be eight or nine years ago. Nine. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. But it was cool. I mean, it was so they brought in a ton of people. And that's where I got to know Michael Graves, who used to sing for the Misfits and stuff. He was mm-hmm. the guy who did the whole skeleton yeah. get up and everything. And he and I became good friends. But I talked to Michael Berryman. Have you met him? I have not. He is the tall guy, the bald guy from the Hills Have Eyes. He was at SpaCon last year, and I forgot to bring my copy of Hills Have Eyes to get autographed, and so I didn't go see him. Unbelievable guy. Sits down, we start carrying on this conversation, and one of the most cerebral interviews I've ever done. This dude, he was a philosopher, you know? (laughs) 
he was he was into philosophy mm-hmm. it was very very interesting to talk to him and uh, he got real deep into what they were trying to do with the hills have eyes stuff that i didn't see in the movie because i watch a movie just to be watching the movie i'm not looking for you know there, deep there is subtext stuff in, in hills have eyes including political subtext there's a battle of generations where the son's a, a hippie and the father's a, a gun-toting conservative yeah. you know and at the end the the son has to pick up the gun and blow away the hillbillies and basically go against his liberal principles and find out that hey you know dad was kind of right all along yeah you know that's one way to read it i'm sure it's a pretty <laughs> good it's, it's a pretty good movie yeah. hills have eyes of course was craven directed that last house on the left a lot of great oh, yeah. uh, early early uh grindhouse movies we can talk about some of that when we come back i gotta get to the news right now that's why I'm looking at my clock, guys. Oh, but you want to talk about Rob Zombie 3. And I do want to talk about Rob Zombie uh, 3, too, because the one before it was awesome. Back with you. Back with you. That's all right. Yeah, Guns N' Roses have done it. Just bring everybody into what we're talking about. Talking about the new Terminator movie coming out November 1st, Dark Fate. And uh, Guns N' Roses did a seminal rock and roll song for Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. And now they and Axel and Slash and the bass player. Wait, they got Slash back? Yeah. Oh, got okay. back together to to write a new well, song for now, the movie. Now I'm interested because, uh, geez, last time I paid attention to Guns N' Roses was Chinese Democracy. And, oh, man, that was like just fat Axel by himself. Well, see, now you're not, you're not up yeah. to the latest. You know, mm. they went on that big tour. And they have been working on new stuff for a new album. Mm. Too so bad for be Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah. yeah. No, well. You haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Come I know. on. It just looks like it catches back with some of the good stuff that came from 2. I'm looking forward to it. Well, we can cross our fingers and yeah. hope for the best. Yeah, we will. I will. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm going to talk to you like I talked to my wife at one at time. Would you please quit looking at the 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 worst part scenario of things? <laughs> it's just, I like to look at know. positive things. Terminator, we're jaded on that franchise, right? and yeah. I love that franchise. It's like Terminator Three, Ugh. Terminator Salvation, Ugh. Terminator Genesis. Ugh. Like how many us can you but have that before be, you're and, done? And the thing was, I thought a lot of the stuff that uh, made them bad was bad <laughs> casting. You know, some people playing some of the parts. It's not. It's this time, yeah. this time, okay, and directors. This time, director is really good. The producer is going to be just like uh, Spielberg was in Poltergeist with the director. Not He's probably cool. going to be directing, directing some stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you've got, of course, uh, Linda Hamilton coming back, and you got Schwarzenegger back, and I kind of I like the way that they've put this one together. You got a a human that has just been doctored up, so to speak, and then you have a new Terminator that looks kind of interesting to me. So we'll see. We'll see. That's I mean, it's the do. same. <laughs> it's like the first one. Yeah. It's just that they got a little girl they're protecting this time, and not the kid. Yeah, not John <laughs> Connor. Yeah, so you don't have that. So anyway, we'll see how how it goes. I'm I'm looking forward to it. But another movie I'm looking forward to that's coming out this month, kind of coming out. It's going to be in theaters for three days, I guess, and then just going to be kind of direct-to-video or uh, rented off of uh, DirecTV or out of Redbox or whatever, is Three from Hell. I'm looking forward to that one, too. So when it comes to Rob Zombie's movies, I haven't 
liked most of them, but the ones that I liked, I don't like his Halloween. I, did, I didn't like those. I, I didn't like Lords of Salem. I no, that the, was a boring movie. Yeah, but the ones that I liked were his first two. I liked House of a Thousand Corpses, yep. and I really liked Devil's Rejects. Well, this is a sequel to those. That so, was a fantastic but, movie, Devil's Rejects. He he recaptured that <laughs> attitude of, you know, the, the 70s, uh, Last House yes, in the Left, and Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Um, he, he got it, and that's his wheelhouse. I mean, he tried to do that with Halloween, and it didn't work, but when he did it with Devil's Reject, with his own original property and story, he just absolutely nailed it, and hopefully he can do that again. Well, I... Devil's Rejects, I would put up, as far as horror goes, in my top five. Yeah. Mark Mark gave him, um, he I let me watch that good. Um, House of a Thousand Corpses. I have no idea what I watched. <laughs> I remember I contacted him right afterwards, and he was like, did you watch it? I said, yeah. Did you like it? I was like, I have no clue. I didn't say like, there was just, any kind of plot. It was, it's I, ex- I still don't know what it was about. the exact same way that uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. is. Well, so the House of a Thousand Corpses is a completely different animal. It's almost like it's a different genre or a different style of movie from Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects is very straightforward. It's a very... Um, and very focused. It's very focused. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses has some very rapid MTV-style editing. It almost feels like you're watching an episode of Sesame Street where it's just snap, snap, snap. Yeah. You know, like, oh, here's numbers, here's letters. You know, like this. Like House of a Thousand <laughs> Corpses is like that, where it's like, oh, here, here's some here's some crazy public television footage. Oh, now here's here's uh, someone getting tortured. Oh, now here's the main characters at a fun house, and it's just all over the place. I like it for that reason. Some people hate it for that reason. It's very night or day. You like it for that stuff or you don't. Um, I do, but Devil's Rejects was very much, this is the story, it's linear, and we're going with it. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, well done in in that. Have you have you watched Devil's Rejects? No, because I had like a house of a thousand you gotta, dollars. You should, it's, it's very you should sit down and watch uh, Devil's Rejects because it's done very, very now, well. Now, here's the question, Dave. Have you ever seen Hobgoblins? <laughs> I have seen it. Oh, then we have nothing else to talk about. <laughs> Just when I thought I'd catch you on a movie so, that you haven't so seen. So here's here are the the horror movies Tim has seen. He's seen Jaws, he's seen The Exorcist, and he's seen Hobgoblins. <laughs> and I've seen Ghoulies one and three. Okay, Ghoulies not but bad. But not Ghoulies First two. That's not Ghoulies one. two. No. <laughs> not like you know, Ghoulies. What's the one with the little rolling critters? Critters. Oh, I, I like critters. critters. You like critters the munchies? No, I'm not geez, a munchie. That, that was Roger Corman trying to do. <laughs> yeah, one of those. that's as low rent as you can get. Yeah, Corman. If it hadn't been for him, there's a lot of actors and actresses never oh, got work. Yeah, Jack Nicholson. N- yeah. discovered him. Uh, the House of Horrors. So God, so Corman, for all the all the crud he gets, he makes movies giving people what they want to see in a movie. Yeah. And I mean, I like Piranha. And I like Inhumanoids yeah. from the Deep, and I like Galaxy of Terror. I like Corman movies because he's like, you know what? I, aliens tried to give you some philosophy and some quality. I'm going to give you Aliens, but just the monster-eating people. And like, okay, you know so <laughs> who directed Piranha? Oh, Joe Dante, um, director of Gremlins. Who directed the second Piranha? James Cameron. Thank you. Yes, so he discovered Joe Dante, and he discovered James Cameron, you know, Roger I mean, he could, he could identify talent. There's well, no doubt about it. I, Ron for, Howard, yeah, eat my dust. Exactly. So with Corman, you had to be able to do your job efficiently, and you had to do it right, and you had to get it done because they're making these movies fly by night. So he was able to find the talent that was skilled enough to do that and cultivate them and get them their start. I mean, that's he had to have an eye for that. Yeah, yeah. Humanoids of the Deep was an interesting movie. <laughs> yeah. All they did is they killed the men 
They raped the women. <laughs> that's exactly what Humanoid well, Through the Deep was all about. Yeah, and that's what people wanted to see. There's so. some ugly-looking monsters, mm-hmm. too. Again, that's practical effects again yep, that we were talking about. That's why I like Galaxy of Terror, which has Robert England and Sid Haig in it. And I, I got to look at the year, but I think that was Robert England right before he did. It was after he did V, but before he did Nightmare on Elm Street. I have to look that up to see if that's true. But it, he, Roger Corman saw that Robert England was on his way up. But yeah, no, Galaxy of Terror is just all these practical effects. It's a very low-rent alien movie. Um, the way he did, so they, they have the hallway of the spaceship that the characters are in. And to decorate the hallway... They got a bunch of Happy Meal boxes and spray painted them orange, <laughs> and then glued them to the uh, to the walls so they looked like you know diagonal like uh, cuts in the walls. And right. it's it's so cheap, but you can't tell because Corman was so good at covering his tracks. No, he was he was good at what he did. There's no doubt oh, yeah. about it. He was good. I mean, he a lot of those movies we talked earlier about from American International, mm-hmm. Corman was oh, involved. Absolutely, with. all those Poe movies with uh, with uh, Vincent Price. Yeah. Uh, Pit and the Pendulum is my favorite Vincent Price oh, I movie. I love that movie. It's, it's a got great movie. Everything. It's got an old spooky mansion. It's got Vincent Price pa- playing like a dual role because his character has split personality. So he's playing both the the evil villainous mustache twirling bad guy, but he's also playing the the poor pathetic Vincent Price. Oh, what was me? Kind of Vincent Price, and it's got torture and blood and violence and Dude, back he, paintings. They put that guy <laughs> in the middle on that kind of like oh, the, on the pendulum. Yeah. And the pendulum's. Whew, I mean, that's pretty, it was pretty intense. Oh, yeah. And the oh, the Iron Maiden that the woman gets locked oh, in at the end, that boy. final shot of yes. her eyes looking out yeah. from the, the torture chamber. Ah, that, every single one of those movies is great. Tomb of it doesn't matter. All of them are great. Yeah, I liked House of, Fall of the House of Usher, mm-hmm. too. That's another mm-hmm. good one. But again, those movies, they, they had a lot of psychological terror oh, yeah. in them, stuff that was... And it's hard to translate to movies, but they did it very well. Yeah. The, the terror going on within the people's minds and stuff. Mm-hmm. No, they they weren't always the, the most accurate adaptations of the plot of the post stories because they, they would have to take short stories and, you know, stretch them out to fill an hour and 30 minutes. But they often got the, uh, the gist or the tone or the spirit of those stories down. Yeah, he was uh, Vincent Price. Is, you know, he really didn't get his accolades until he... He cut that that beginning of uh, Thriller, Thriller. <laughs> yeah. and then everybody was like, well, who is this guy with that voice, you know? And they didn't know anything about the abominable Dr. Fives and all <laughs> yeah. of that kind of stuff. I mean, it was good stuff. Oh, he no, did a lot of great stuff, and he didn't mind playing way over the top on that stuff. I don't think he ever said no to anything. He did a lot of kids' stuff, and he said that the reason he did, like, Scooby-Doo and, like, Tiny Toon Adventures and things like that, he did them... Because he wanted kids to know who he was so that when they got older, they would watch his scary movies and they'd become fans and he would cultivate the next generation of Vincent Price fans. And that's genius because there's a lot of actors out there who won't do kid stuff because they think that's beneath them. But then they're just basically putting a capstone on the age of their fan base. At one time, he was a very handsome leading man. Mm -hmm. I mean, he made some legitimate big-time yeah. Uh, movies. He was uh, very, very good. Excellent, excellent actor. I liked him a lot. All right, quarter to six. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll come back, finish it up for this week. Tim Lim is here. You wouldn't know it, but he is. And uh, Mark <laughs> Pellegrini the is there. We're going to talk yeah. about something different, maybe some <laughs> sci-fi when we come back. i got to ask you about a new sci-fi movie if it has gotten your attention yet here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, so 
as you know, Tim, I like sci-fi. All right. One of my favorite sci-fi movies, 2001. I think it's a great movie. A lot of people didn't like it. I don't understand what it means. It don't matter what it means. It was a great sci-fi movie. It was a lot of fun. Back in its day, it was light years in front of everybody as far as effects went and stuff. New movie coming out very shortly, Brad Pitt. Ad Astra? Yes. It's got that same feel to it, don't you think? I don't know. I don't even know what the plot is about. I saw I saw the trailer twice, and I still don't know what is going on. It's like we're on a space station, and now like <laughs> it's like Brad Pitt takes a nosedive out of the space station, and it's like, oh, now we need you back up there because there's something heading this way. Astronaut it, Roy McBride undertakes a mission across an unforgiving solar system to uncover the truth about his missing father and his doomed expedition that now, 30 years later, threatens the universe. Okay. <laughs> that's what, that's the, you know, that, that's, that may that be a MacGuffin without for all I know. anything. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be yeah. a MacGuffin, but it's got that same feel as far as 2001 in the special effects that look around. I mean, you like can, you can take a pencil-thin plot, and if you put a very good director on it, they can make a good movie out of it. I mean, geez, what what's the plot of 2001 A Space Odyssey? Oh, the computer AI on a space station goes berserk and kills everybody. Oh, I thought it was monkeys touching a yeah, monolith. The monkeys touch, also, this, monkeys touch a monolith, and the guy turns into a, a, a space fetus baby. at the end. Yeah, and oh, my God, it's full of stars. Well, well the, the guy who's directing it, uh, Gray, did The Lost City of Z... Uh, we owned the night from 2007. I reviewed that for that website I worked Which at. was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Uh, The Immigrant from 2013. Two Lovers from 2008. And, uh, you know, Little Odessa, he did that too back in the 90s. It's just, and it, it's got my hopes up. It kind of reminds me of Interstellar. Yeah, it's got that feel to, and yeah. I loved Interstellar. A lot of people didn't like that either because I don't want to think that hard when I go. Oh, I don't. This what is what we're talking about before. What did it? What did it? What did it mean when he was he had no strings? Get yeah. the machine guns. Yeah, yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but I knew what I was getting into with Interstellar yeah. when I went and saw it. Liv Tyler, who was in the movie, a lot of people are are uh, calling out the director because she's not in it as far as on screen the same time Brad Pitt is. <laughs> Who cares? But, but you understand Hollywood right. now, right? She's on a phone that he's talking to her because he's on this science, scientific space mission and he's talking to her over periods of months. And it looks, it, it just looks, uh, I'll go see it. A lot of people say it's, it's boring. Sci-fi movies have gotten kind of weird lately like i mean not weird but almost like they're getting boring like the martian where it's a sci-fi movie because it's uh matt damon on mars but he's grown potatoes for two hours is that am i thinking of the right movie Tim? yeah 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 or gravity where was that sandra bullock who's just yeah. floating in a space suit for two now, hours see, in, orbit? Now, in that movie <laughs> uh that movie again it was the special effects that had me mesmerized there's a yeah. scene in there where there's a water droplet that's on the screen floating around, and if you watch it, it's reflecting everything that's going on around it. It's no. very—I had never seen anybody go to that 
depth. I think it's because, so I think it's what Mark is talking about. Modern science fiction, they're more focused on the science aspect of it. So they're trying to show what visual effects can do to kind of simulate what would happen in these conditions. And Mm -hmm. I think we haven't had a a sci-fi like adventure story where it's like, who cares if the physics aren't real? Just like we had, we had John Carter on Mars. Oh, that that was, movie wasn't that bad. Yeah, it was, but that was also, not all it was that on, bad. It was on Netflix, yeah. and I saw it recently. Um, another one that, let's see, that came out not too long ago as far as science fiction is concerned. There's one on Netflix that's really good called Spectral. Spectral is really good, I didn't too. watch it yet. Is it the lot, Russian movie you're telling me about? It's not Russian. I don't think it's Russian, but the story is pretty good. It's about, um, it's about uh, these people. They go into a war zone or a combat zone, and they think that they're fighting ghosts. Like, there are these ghosts that come out and, like, eviscerate you. Really? And obviously it's this idea of, well, they can't be ghosts because obviously there's, like, the enemy has some form of technology that allows them to turn invisible. And I think I've seen – it's a movie, right? It's a movie. I've yeah. seen this movie. Yeah. And when the ghost goes through you, it kills you. Correct. Okay, yeah. yes, I have seen that movie. It's mm-hmm. good. It's really good. But it's like that's the type of thing I'm looking for with science fiction. It's kind of like I don't really care if your physics don't work properly. Yeah. I, I just want to see something that incorporates tech or engineering uh, to a degree that's fun and entertaining. So I think that's where I think that's where I'm not as thrilled to see movies like Passengers, Gravity, Interstellar. Passengers was a waste of time. Yeah, it's more like, hey, look at our effects and look how look how neat it is to simulate this condition in space or whatever. Whereas me, I'm like, eh, I want to see something that involves a little bit more action. Have you ever seen Battle of Los Angeles? Yes. I love that movie. Every time it comes on cable, I can't move past it. Have you it. seen it, Mark? I have not. Oh, my no. gosh. It's fun. It's, so Battle- a war, it's an old war movie put around aliens. So it has not – there's no – they don't explain why these aliens are invading. Here's how this movie starts. It's like, uh, we just got an alert. Uh, something's happening in L.A. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, you look up in the sky, and it's just like UFOs coming and bombarding it. And it's just Thomas – I know it's Aaron Eckhart – I don't know if Thomas Jane's in it or not, but Aaron Eckhart just leads like these army people and they just fight aliens for an hour and a half. And they he's pretty you know, good in it. Too, they don't explain Eckhart. where they came from or anything. It's just that. And I was just like, hey, this is. I really just cool. watched that the other night again. Uh-huh. It's I a came good movie. in it about a third of the way through and just stuck with it and watched it all the way through again. Okay. I'm going to have to check that one out. Yeah, then. it's fun. It's, you know, it, don't expect anything big, but it's exactly what you kind of want. Mm-hmm. It's. Guys it sounds shooting like, Martians. It sounds like signs, but not terrible. No, it's like an no. it's like an R-rated Independence Day. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, it really oh, yeah. is. That's kind of what it's all about. You've I, seen that, haven't you, Zach? One that we're talking about. You haven't seen it yet, huh? It's fun. You'll like it. And another good one that came out in recent years, like in the last five years, um, Edge of Tomorrow. Oh yeah, really is that good? good? Yes, with Tom Cruise. Oh, the, oh yes. Yeah. They uh-huh. keep saying they're going to make a sequel, and they haven't yet. That's mm-hmm. with Emily Blunt in it. Yeah. She was really good in yeah. that movie. That's, I. I I'm a big, I swear to Emily Blunt, all right? She's hasn't discovered all of her acting abilities yet. She's, she's pretty. Amazing. She's a good actress. She's she, amazing. Yeah. Very smart, mm-hmm. too. And then her, her husband's very smart. Uh, the new... Uh, He's a lib, but we'll give yeah, him credit. I know. For I'll give him credit that they're going to do another... Uh, what is it? The, the Jack, Ryan? Jack Ryan. I like. Uh, or Jack. Yeah, I like Jack Ryan. Yeah. I, I saw the whole. Ne- I saw the whole it thing on good. Amazon. It was, it was fantastic. Good. And uh, and I'm looking a uh, guy that's a lib. I mean, Sasha Cohen. I mean, he's a big time lib, yeah. uh, and he's playing uh, an Israeli spy in the Spy. 
and it's supposed to be awesome. Mm, maybe. You know, and actually mm. get into, you know, it, Palestinians it really isn't their land. <laughs> I mean, it seriously gets into all of that, which is, that's pretty ballsy for Hollywood anymore. Well, but it's also the fact that he's he's um, he's Jewish, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah he might be, but I don't know if, if, if I'm going to just say, if you believe that Israel should exist as a as a country, uh, you shouldn't be a liberal. <laughs> I'm just saying because they don't they don't believe that it should. Omar doesn't. That's for sure. Did you see that guy at Ground Zero called her out on all that? He, he wore the T-shirt. I played too. that on the show. That was mm. awesome. Yeah, that was a good take. Some people did some things. What a stupid woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was. Guys, we're out of time. Aww. Always a pleasure to have you guys on. I oh, love it. And uh, if you have Chuck on next week, I might have to just stop by. <laughs> hear making, what he has to say. I'm making the phone call starting this weekend because we got to get our roster lined up. All right. Tim Lim will be here next Friday. I'm going to be on vacation. I don't know whether I'll be in state or I'll be on my way to Florida. <laughs> uh, we're going to stop at the IP, which is a big gambling casino down in Biloxi. So who knows what will be going on? I don't know. All right, have a great weekend. Remember, God gave you a whole week of life. Give him an hour on Sunday to see what he has to say to you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.